Since 1995, Alabama's sports talk leader, Tiger Communications, proudly presents Sports Call. It's time to join our Sports Call crew as they discuss the latest headlines and happenings around Auburn and the entire sports world. To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. We're taking phone calls all show long and want to talk about whatever you've got on your mind. And now, coming to you live from the loveliest village on the plains, Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show, Sports Call. Welcome, Auburn, into the Thursday edition of Sports Call, live on Tiger 95.9, the Tiger.fm, and the Tiger Communications app. My name is Ryan LaVoy, the host of this show. Today, I've got T.P. Hammock and Brooks Childress with me for the full three hours as we go over everything happening in the world of sports, which, of course, includes Auburn basketball's victory at Vanderbilt last night, as the Tigers were victorious, they were able to lead that game by double digits really throughout. So we will digest that game and talk about our takeaways as the Tigers remain perfect in SEC play. We'll also continue to talk about the latest on the Auburn football roster. No new news today in terms of the roster, but we'll continue to update you if there is. We'll also talk a little bit about the Defensive coaching staff, as we were not really able to get to that yesterday, so we will hit on that today. We'll have Brian Matthews of Auburn Rivals coming up at 4.30 today. And again, he'll give us the latest on those coaching searches there on the defensive side of the ball and then also Auburn's line of thinking, how pleased they are with the hires they were able to make on the offensive side of the football as well, of course, as some basketball thoughts. And then also... I think, uh, again, towards the end of the show today, we'll continue to talk some more NFL head coaching carousel. We were able to talk about a couple of the big uh, coaching names yesterday. We want to maybe look at it from the team lenses today, uh, and then tomorrow we'll be able to preview the playoff game. So uh, that's kind of our outlook for the NFL side of things today as well. If you want to give us a call on the Orthopedic Clinic phone line, 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free, one triple eight nine Tiger Nine again. Ryan TP and Brooks with you here on this Thursday edition of the program. We'll start with you, TP Hammett. Good to see you again, sir. Hope you are doing well today. I'm doing well after a very good, comfortable Auburn victory up in uh, Nashville. You know, we went over it yesterday. Auburn has had a lot of close contests up in that in that arena. That's a little bit different than all the other ones. So. Uh, really pleased by what I saw. Uh, started off a little cold, but uh, got got hot and took a big lead and never really relinquished from there. So really happy with uh, what Auburn did last night on the court. And uh, excited to talk to Brian Matthews and excited to get to all of our callers today. Absolutely. And uh, Brooks Childress joins us on the show on this Thursday. Brooks, again, want to thank you for hosting a couple of more days. First, I was sick. Then I was trying to do the opposite of sick in Tampa, and uh, I really appreciate you for hosting 
a few times for these last couple of weeks, and I hope you are well on this Thursday. I am. It's uh, it's a beautiful Thursday outside, a little bit warmer than it has been. Uh, I don't know if you could say upper 40s is warm, but it, <laughs> it is warmer than it has been, so that's good. Um and it's yeah, it, it's a it's a great time here. I uh, was happy to get a get a day off the show. I love being on the show, but after hosting for two days in a row, I was happy to get a get an off day from the show yesterday. Uh, not an off day from work, folks. Don't don't worry, I was still here grinding away. Uh, but it's uh, it's an exciting time. Um, yeah, you know, you, you look around uh, the world of sports. Obviously, Auburn basketball continues to do really really good things. Uh, they had a big game last night on the road at Vanderbilt, a place that as we've talked about it this week, especially it's given Auburn troubles in the past, given a lot of teams troubles in the past, because it's just a weird place to go play. The sight lines are weird. The benches are weird, but Auburn handled it. This, this Auburn team handled it pretty well last night. Um, Vanderbilt made a couple runs at them, but it was, it wasn't really like the Saturday game against LSU where you felt like it was getting out of control for, for Auburn, but before they reeled it back in, um, Auburn's got a big one this weekend against an Ole Miss team that, Looks, it's it's a, a mystery of what they are as a basketball team. They they feel like a good basketball team, but you go on the road to LSU uh, and you lay an egg like they did last night, a top twenty five team at at an LSU team, uh, and you start to ask a, a couple questions there. So we'll talk about that going forward. The NFL coaching carousel is interesting because. Nobody's been hired. The only coach that's really been hired is the Patriots. That was an internal hire within 24 hours. So like, bye, Bill. Hey, Gerard. You're already in the building. Let's get you. So it's it's interesting to see some of these. You know, everybody's kind of taking their time interviewing folks. Uh, it feels like a lot more teams are looking at some of these coaches that may be assistant coaches, at least that may still be in the playoffs and uh, having to wait for a little bit. Um, and then you know, uh, back on the home front, Auburn filling out their offensive staff yesterday, which is really good you used to go into that still waiting on maybe something about a co-defensive coordinator whatever what you're going to do there uh, for this football team uh, a lot of stuff to talk about though can't wait to get to all the calls as well yeah absolutely yesterday we had a wonderful conversation the five o'clock hour we spent nearly 40 minutes just on Bill Belichick and Mike Vrabel and so there's still a lot to talk about in the NFL head coaching world and also a move that was not made late last night in the NFL head coaching world so uh, there is still a lot to digest there, and we will get into that a little bit later in the show. Before we do get going, want to get uh, do a couple housekeeping things. One is that, again, reminder, tomorrow is not a full show. We will be getting off there around 4.30. Beauregard High School basketball will be on the air just before 5 o'clock as they take on Valley. Uh, they're in Beauregard High School, so that's some Beauregard basketball, girls and boys basketball coming up tomorrow on our airwaves, shortening our show. And then also want to remind you, this is the last week to be able to take the Sports Call survey. And we want to hear from you on how we did last year, how we are currently doing, and any improvements that can be made to the show in terms of format and that sort of thing. So it's just nine questions. It's very quick and easy to fill out. It's available on the website, thetiger.fm. Also available on our social medias, on Twitter, at Sports Call AU. It's the, I believe it's still the pinned tweet there. It's also available to be found in a post on Facebook and Instagram. If you search that, there's a link to the survey in that. And again, we really appreciate any and all feedback. This is the last week to get that done before we uh, take in all the surveys, read them all, and again, game plan everything for 2024. So again, please fill that out if you'd like to by the end of this week. All right, let's start today's show talking about what happened in Nashville last night. By the way, there is a women's basketball game happening in Nashville between Auburn and Vandy. That's a close one in the third quarter. 
also update you when that one ends. But uh, the men were at it at Memorial Gym last night. The Tigers taking on the Vanderbilt, Vanderbilt Commodores. And guys, Auburn really controlled this one, uh, really throughout the majority of the game. Vandy had a brief stroke of brilliance early in the first half, uh, around that second portion before the second media timeout. I believe took their only lead of the game. However, Auburn then responded with a very large run. I think that the graphic they kept showing, and they showed it a lot, It was first it was like a 13-2 run, and then it was 17-2, then it was 20-2, 24-2, something around there is what it finished at. And it went on for seven or eight minutes where Vanderbilt only scored two points kind of right after taking that lead, and the Tigers win it by a score of 80-65. to Guys, your impressions and thoughts from the Tigers' performance up in Nashville last night. So, like I said in my beginning, I was very pleased with what I saw. Um, you know, and I'm sure some of our callers are going to talk about it. I was a little, the officiating was a little, you know, hit or miss, and that's fair. You know, you're on the road. And, uh, you know, I thought some of it was ticky-tack. But uh, besides that, I mean, I was pleased all around by what I saw. One of the most impressive things I've ever seen was that save in the second half. It was crazy behind the back Jalen Williams Denver Jones Katie Johnson was losing his mind over it it was awesome play right there I think that really just killed anything for Vanderbilt and uh, I know it said it was a 15 point game but it was really like a 20 point game but um yeah you know you cover the spread you know great good teams win great teams cover but uh you know like I said this is a great this was a really good showing I know Vanderbilt's not great I'm not saying you know they just beat the Kansas Jayhawks they beat Vanderbilt but to go up on the road in the SEC and to win fairly comfortably in a place that you historically have played really bad at, it's just a really good momentum booster for, uh, and you can continue on in SEC play and uh, you get ready for the game on Saturday against a, uh, a pretty good Ole Miss team. You look at this, uh, you take a, a peruse the box score. Everybody that got in for Auburn scored except for Chaney Johnson. Chaney Johnson was the only Tiger that, that had logged minutes and didn't score. And it felt like, you know, you, you go down, uh, you know, obviously you had Jalen Williams lead the scoring last night. You had Janai Broom with 15. You had Dylan Cardwell with 12. You had Aiden Holloway with 10. Jalen Williams had 21. Uh, leading the leading the game uh, in scoring, but everybody else, you know, was in single digits. But I'll tell you this: you look at everybody's name, and even if it was like they just scored once, you remember that shot. It was a pivotal shot at that moment. It was a big shot. Uh, Chris Moore. It was a two. His foot was on the line in the corner. Uh, hit, hit a big shot. Thought it was a three at the time. Um, Denver Jones had a big three. Katie Johnson had a big two. Uh, Chad Baker Mazzara had a big three uh, in there. Um, everybody, uh, Lior Berman had a big three, uh, the, everybody that co- scored for the Tigers last night, uh, that may not have been in a double digit scoring. You remember having, uh, they, they had a, a, a pretty pivotal, uh, score, pretty big score. Uh, I think really impressive is Jalen Williams, uh, perfect from the field, seven for seven, two for two from three made all five free throws that he attempted. Like that was Jalen Williams. We, we talked about him all year. He's been our sports called player of the week several times this year, uh, since basketball season started. And it's for good reason. He has continued to come into his own, uh, and, and 
is just the, you, you talk about somebody who came into this year and really elevated themselves. Uh, it's Jalen Williams. He, he's the guy that, that, is, that has stepped up, led the Tigers in scoring. Uh, I think it's been three or four games in a row he's, he's led Auburn in scoring. Um, uh, and uh, Chad Baker Mazar is a guy that comes in off the bench, has, has been a pretty good, uh, a pretty good uh, uh, contributor off the bench. But I tell you, th- this, this was a really good, uh, really good win, uh, especially, you know, like I said, it, it, in a place that uh, with the SEC and with some of the difficult places to play, you've now exercised two demons in this in, in conference play. You went to Bud Walton Arena, very tough place to play for anybody, and very tough place to play for the Tigers. Uh, uh, last time you were there, everybody remembered the last time Auburn was there before uh, just a couple weeks ago was when Auburn was number one, for, uh, Arkansas knocked him off eric musselman ran onto the court took a short shirt off was surfing across the crowd or <laughs> whatever uh but you went in you exercised that demon said we're you know we're that's not going to happen again you did it you went up to memorial gym a place and they even showed it you know, last night the the game last year you lost in like a la- uh, last few seconds of the game uh and it was a, a heartbreaking loss for the tigers you came into this one and you said that's not happening again you're going into it. Steve brought up a couple uh, a couple days ago about you know looking at where this team can go and w- how many games they could lose, and we pointed out a couple of the the difficult games, a couple of the difficult road places to go. Um, it feels like the next spot that you're like you haven't won in a while that it feels like Auburn could exercise those demons this year is that Florida game in a couple weeks. Um, I'm not saying it's going to happen. We, you know, you got to get there first. But it's this Auburn team. It feels like this is a team that is built uh, this year. And you know, uh, uh, Jerry Stackhouse said it. This is one of the best Auburn teams he's seen since he's been at Vanderbilt. It feels like this is a team that can go on the road in the SEC and win these games. And, and Auburn fans should should expect, unless you're playing at a Tennessee or maybe at a Georgia, the way Georgia's playing this year, you should expect to go on the road and and have a really good shot to win uh, this year, no matter where you're playing, no matter how Auburn has fared in these last few years at that place. The way they're playing right now, you should expect to go on the road and have a chance to win that basketball game. Yeah, look, I, I'd never want to lose sight of, and I know uh, accuse me of living in the past a little bit here for a moment, um, road wins in college basketball are difficult, and it really doesn't matter who. And, look, I'm going to use an example we all remember what it felt like for Tony Barbie Auburn teams, uh, even Jeff Lebo Auburn teams. And you guys all know out there that love Auburn basketball, when Auburn went on the road those years, you were just hoping they didn't get housed sometimes. But when they hosted teams, you said, hey, maybe we'll wake up on the right side of the bed and, and figure out how to win a basketball game. And, it, and that was went for if you're playing Alabama – it went for heck if you were playing Kentucky. A Kareem, I know Kareem Canty was a, a Pearl player, but I mean that was not a good Pearl team. Um, you know, and, and that just was kind of how it was. Where it's like, okay, you go on the road as a 10, 14, 15 win team, you're not going to get much done. You're going to lose just about everybody on the road. But you come home and you're in the friendly confines. You got you got a crack at them. We'll see. And so even though Vanderbilt's bad. And even though when Vandy comes here in a couple weeks, I'm going to expect Auburn to win by 25, it's still something that Auburn dominated this game. They led this game almost start to finish. Vandy got one brief lead in uh, about midway point first half. And then Auburn won that run, and it never got tight again. Uh, Vandy 
got to shoot a lot of free throws in the second half. I know that drew to the ire of some. I I thought it was what it was. It happens sometimes at home. I, I really don't care that much about it, to be honest with you. Um, maybe I would have more if Vandy had actually gotten the game. But really all the free throws did was keep, prevent Vandy from losing by 25 points. That's that's really all, all it did. It just kept them in that 13, 18, 19 range in the second half. But, you know, Auburn didn't have some big let up. I mean, again, the, the fouls were a problem, but uh, Vandy never went on this big run to really scare Auburn in the second half. I, I don't think Vandy ever cut it to single digits one time in the second half. So Auburn consistently had this game under control. And to do that on the road, it's just not something this program has done much of. Um, and, and not uh, certain, certainly not prior to Bruce Pearl, but even with Bruce Pearl, they have still had some bugaboos on the road. Um, friends in the group chat last night were texting about this. The good hands play of the night of the night was last year's Vandy Auburn game where Vandy won the buzzer. And I know Vandy got hot last year, but Auburn was still a better team than Vandy last year, even despite Vanderbilt figuring it out in the second half. Uh, but, but Vanderbilt, won a home game, and that's what happens sometimes in college basketball. So even though Vandy is not even close to as good as Auburn last year, I value any road win that does not worry you to the better end. So I thought Auburn did a good job of handling. And look, Auburn still, I've got more good news. Like, they won by 15. There was a bit of a free throw disparity. And Auburn didn't even play great. Like, they did some things that are a little uncharacteristic. They turned the ball over a little bit more than they're used to. Their assist-to-turnover ratio was not as immaculate as it usually is. I believe they turned the ball over 10 times last night, and they had 13 assists. That's not typical of them. They're usually 18, 19 assists a night and six or seven turnovers. They're usually in that three-to-one range, and they were barely over one-to-one. So they did not do an especially good job of, uh, of, of sharing without uh, losing the ball. You know, their shooting was fine, but it was right on average for them. I think it was 8 of 25 from 3. That's 32%. I think they're 33 on the year. Uh, and so, again, that's why I have tremendous confidence in this team because I, I think there's still a certain ceiling that they obtain every now and then, like the Indiana game, for example, uh, and, and even for about 27-ish minutes of the LSU game just this last weekend. There's times where this team's on pace to score 100 points, 105 points, and just everything is awesome. Uh, but even when it's not, they just have so many things that they can do well that make them still good, even when they're not at their best. And so uh, I thought it was a solid win last night. Again, there's different ways to win games. They technically beat Vandy by just four more points than they beat Texas A&M. But we all know Texas A&M was in that game for 38 or 39 minutes. I mean, that was a that was as close to a 40-minute game as it'll ever get for a double-digit game because that was two and three and four points a lot in the second half. It ended up at 11. Well, this was a game that was always deserving to be double digits. And again, on the road, I think that's a really good thing. There's a couple other things to get into here. Some we want to ask for sure Brian Matthews about at 4.30 see if he's got anything for us, is Janai Broom because he did go down late last night and don't want to get that lost in the shuffle. He had a very productive night. If not for Jalen Williams, Janai Broom would have been the most talked about player afterwards. He had 15 points, 12 rebounds, uh, 6-12 from the floor. Also had three steals and a block, so he was very effective on the defensive end. But he did get banged up there late 
on that drive with a couple minutes left, shot his free throws and left the game. Clearly gimpy. I don't think that he was necessarily as injured as maybe first was appearing, but still was a little gimpy going off the floor. So really want to hear an update, uh, certainly from Bruce Pearl Lamar, but hopefully from Brian Matthews here in about an hour when we have him on at 4.30, uh, because that is a, a big, big, big piece for Auburn. As balanced, as deep as Auburn is, uh, Broom is still one of the two two guys, pro- you know, I would say the guy, but Jay Williams is playing so damn well recently. But but one of the two guys that you find to be most valuable on this team if you're Auburn. So cer- certainly, while you have depth and you have balance, you don't want to be chipping away from the very top of that uh, depth and quality and, and that sort of thing. I mean, look, Don Carwell is improving now. That's the good news. Last night, he had a good one. I uh, want to single him out. He had 12.6 rebounds in 15 minutes. That's about as efficient as it gets. Um, and, and Cardwell, this improvement's real. It's real from the field. He's using his weight. He's throwing it around. He's also – it's real improvement from the foul line, guys. I mean, this guy, uh, he's at 66% from the line, 667 to be exact. That's not some world-beating number. I want to remind you he was in the 30s last year, and you're just not going to see many guys in the 30 40% range of foul shooting. So I got to give Dylan Carwell a lot of credit for getting it up to just a a palpable nu- or a, a a palatable number uh, to to go four or four last night get up to about sixty seven percent for the year. So Cardwell has improved a lot. Like he, you would feel better about him than you would in years past playing a lot. The the question would be, can he stay out of foul trouble? Because then that would be paramount if he's the only true center you have, and then you're looking at. A lineup. Do you play Cheney at the five briefly? Do you play Jalen Williams at the five briefly? I mean, I mean, Brooks. What what do you think about what Auburn might have to do if uh, if Broom is limited or can't go on Saturday? Uh, I I mean, I, I think that you like you said you you really you know you you rely on Cardwell to be there a little bit more. Um, and then you you kind of mix in, as you said, uh, you mix in a, a Jalen Williams there, and and, and you. Uh, and maybe a Cheney there, but it's it's uh it's gonna be it'd be pivotal because as you said you are you're trying you would have to try to piece that together and make sure that you you didn't you uh you were talking about Cardwell throwing around his weight a little bit down down in the paint you in a positive way you want him to do that in a positive way and not draw a foul uh you know last night he had just over you know almost fifteen and a half minutes of of uh game time and only drew one foul so he only had one personal foul last night. Cool. Well, that's against a, a Vanderbilt team uh, that that's not in the top of the conference. Uh, you you like we were mentioning, you you had the game in hand for most of it. You get into some of these tight games, and you get to some of the, uh, a game against a you know say Saturday like an Ole Miss. Say you're in a game with against a, a Vanderbilt, a Kentucky, a Tennessee, someone like that. If you had to step up and you had to uh, have Cardwell in that that elevated role there, you start to get worried about people. You know, I know he's. You know, you, you talked about how he's how the the free throw has gone up uh, over this past year. There's still, people are going to look at that uh, that uh, that that stat from last year, and they're going to say we can go at him because you know, yes, he has. It looks like he's improved. But somewhere in there, we 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 can bet that 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 thirty percent guy is still in there. And if we go at him, 
And yeah, sure. If we foul him, he goes to the free throw line. We take our bets there with that. It, you know, it, it's it, and then you know on the positive side, maybe we go at him and he gets too aggressive and he fouls us. Maybe he gets frustrated, he fouls us, and then we get him into foul trouble. And then Auburn's got to go with the smaller lineup. Uh, so I, I think that the the what you really hope for is that Janai is is healthy enough to play on Saturday uh, and going forward. Um, but it, it, I, I'm on the same page as you. I think that. You, you mix in a couple guys. I think the main guy would have to be Dylan Cardwell, and you just hope that, that the fouls do not come into a factor. Yeah, I agree with you on that. You know, I think Cardwell would be the obvious choice to replace Broom there. I think I think the only thing that would worry me, you know, like you said, is the free throw shooting. Now, he has been a lot better this year at free throws, but uh, I'd be interested to see what they would do there. They I could see them maybe doing some stuff around, maybe run a smaller ball lineup, maybe have like Jalen Williams at the uh, center and maybe bring in like Chaney Johnson or like somewhere along those lines, maybe a Chad Baker Mazzaro to play a forward. But I don't know. I think it, I think there's a lot of things you can do. I think that's the benefit to having such a deep roster like Bruce Pearl has really exemplified this year. I think you have a lot of opportunities there to work with stuff and do some unusual things where, you know, you get a wrench thrown into your plan like a Janai Broom getting injured. And I think uh, you can make the best out of it. And hopefully uh, Broom is uh, not out for that long and uh, you can rely on that depth for a uh, key conference game. Yeah, and again, I think that they avoided – I'm not trying to play doctor, but I think they avoided – uh, a significant injury, and it's it's very possible he might be able to play Saturday. But we do know that he still was limping off a little bit, and there is at least a little bit of concern there. So that is something we're going to ask Brian about here at uh, at four thirty today. But uh, Broom has been playing good basketball. I mean, he had a couple of rough non conference games, and, and there will be a couple of games just because your opportunity is a little little more limited uh, if you're on Auburn than you're on bigger teams. If Janai Broom is struggling. On, uh, you know, I don't know. Let's throw a, a big school out there, Duke, or something. But he's he's one of Duke's best players. He's gonna play thirty minutes. Like it, it doesn't matter if he's playing well or not. They're only playing seven or eight guys, and he's gonna get. He's one of their best dudes. He's gonna play a lot. But you know, if you're not playing as well with Auburn, or you're in foul trouble, or whatever, like you've got someone behind you. They're gonna play that guy, and it's not gonna be an indictment of you. It's going to be like that guy's doing something well. And so that's why they do have the 10 players. We're going to keep saying this stat. Everyone's going to keep saying the stat. But it's it's, it's fascinating. 10 guys play 15 minutes or more per game. Uh, and, and maybe Chris Moore or Chaney Johnson will end up falling just below that. They might finish the year at 13 or 14 because they've been playing a little bit less here in conference play. But that's insane. Like, that just doesn't happen. And uh, that is why Bruce has – been so committed to it and I applaud him for that because I'm usually a guy admittedly that likes to play about eight uh and and I I like the the top two or three players to play 30 to 32 33 minutes but his philosophy is we're going to be fresh they're going to give us four or five great minutes and then they're going to sit and our next group is going to give us four or five great minutes and then they're going to sit and just so on and so forth and that has really continued to work out for Auburn it's one of the the best things about them because you, you have your one or two top perceived players struggling. There's five or six other guys they like, and there's five or six other guys that are going to contribute in the scoring column. A couple other guys are going to contribute in the energy column, and it's continued to work out well for Auburn basketball as they defeat Vanderbilt in Memorial Gym last night in Asheville 
to 65. We're going to head to our first time out of the show today. When we come back, we'll hit the orthopedic clinic phone line for the first time today. You're listening to the Thursday edition of Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Looking for another way to listen to our show? Be sure to download the Tiger Communications app and listen to Sports Call wherever you go. I'm Britt Bowen, voice of Auburn women's basketball and Auburn softball. You're listening to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Welcome back to Sports Call, Tiger 95.9, the Tiger.fm, and the Tiger Communications app. Ryan Lavoy, Brooks Childress, and TP Hammock with you here on this Thursday afternoon. Let's head to the Orthopedic Clinic phone line for the first time today, 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free, 1-888-9-TIGER-9. First up on the show this afternoon, Ward Dam Steve. Retired Ward Dam Steve is with us. Steve, how are you today? I'm so glad, guys, that we are through with Vanderbilt. Thank you for taking my phone call, and it's good to hear your voices uh, along with uh, Mr. Uh, let's see, uh, T.P. Hammock, right? Yes, I'm on. All right. And Mr. Uh, Childress? Yes, sir. All right. So, guys, I heard your comments. They're insightful. I say Wardam to Dylan Cardwell and Jalen Williams. Uh, played a heck of a game last night. And then we come to what I guess uh, many of the festive season's not over yet for me. I got problems with that officiating crew, and I want you guys to hear about it. And in the words of, I mean, I was listening to the post game show, guys, and the first words that come out of uh, with Andy Burcham in the post game interview with him, the first words that come out of Coach Pearls is, "What? I'm not happy with how we played in the second half. Not happy at all." He says, "I told my team I'm not happy." Now, yes. People will foul, uh, and the officiating is god awful at times. Uh, seems to favor sometimes uh, the uh, the teams at home. Come on, guys! Five fouls in the first half, twenty-five in the second half. Uh, how plausible is it that a team can all of a sudden be that atrocious in fouling? Uh, I'm, I'm not sure exactly what the number is there because Auburn committed 18 fouls for the game uh, and then well, or excuse me right 22 here, fouls 20 Auburn squ- uh, committed Vanderbilt, 22 fouls yeah Vanderbilt was two for five from the foul line the first right half. oh you're talking about foul shots yeah. yeah yeah right foul yeah you shots. said fouls uh so okay, gotcha 25 25 free throws right yeah no again and I I, I mentioned in the open that obviously there were uh, uh it was a huge change and the way uh, it was called on that end of the floor in the second half. Um, but I, I just don't have any overarching deep thoughts about it. Uh, again, I think that they gave a generous whistle to Vandy in the second half. I think that Auburn, uh, to a degree, uh, you know, didn't defend as well, but I thought that they were still pretty pretty darn good on the defensive end. 
And uh, again, it was a game that never, never really got that tight. It just prevented it from being an absolute blowout. So again, I, I, I know that that uh, it will draw the ire of some. Uh, that is certainly a eye-opening disparity from one half to another, and that's in general not good. But in a game like that where it's double digits, I just have a hard time uh, carrying it with me uh, beyond beyond the scope of that game. Yeah, well, you know, thank goodness it didn't matter in this game. What I'm concerned about is what happens when it really does matter, like when you're playing Alabama or you're playing, or you're playing Florida, Tennessee. Yeah, obviously, I mean, you don't, you, you don't want officials to, to, to call a poor game and you don't want it to call – uh, be a call in the other team's favor, but again, I who I we'll see what refs work what game. I mean, again, I don't I don't even know if those refs will work another Auburn game or if they'll work five more Auburn games. I know they'll work some SEC stuff, but uh, again, that's that 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 is uh, unfortunately part of it. And the home team usually uh, can benefit from from refereeing at times. We certainly don't mention it when Auburn gets a little bit uh, of a good whistle. So I, again, I. Uh, hopefully it does not happen in a, in a close game. And I agree it did uh, become more one-sided there in the second half. But, again, I, I just uh, – I'm not that ir- irritated about it. Well, I would just like to see consistency, you know, whether it's with my team or the other team. Just be consistent. Uh, I'll give you examples last night, guys. Uh, Janai Broom goes for a basket, is shoved, and he was shoved, and still makes basket, no call. I remember that. Again. Janai Broom is standing his ground underneath the basket. Uh, the Vanderbilt player, you know, is uh, trying to make the basket, and they call foul on Janai Broom, who's standing still, just trying to uh, defend it. Okay, wow. Haley Johnson gets called for a foul. I said, well, was it really? I mean, they said he stuck his leg out. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, I remember and, uh, that call. Yeah, I didn't like that call. And even the announcers were saying, well, what foul was that? You know, uh, who's that foul on? Uh, they, they didn't know either. Okay, moving on. Uh, the, the the scoring in the second half is is troubling. You know they outscored us by two more points, and uh, I'm not sure what explains that, guys. I mean, uh, I heard I heard that you know obviously Coach Pearl uh, was not happy with. It. He told the team, uh, but I mean, is it due to the the other side just getting better all of a sudden, or we got too complacent and we thought we had it in the bag? Well, Steve, did you not just hit on it with the free throws? Because that, I mean, that's the difference. Do you think that's a major difference? Yeah, I mean, I, I've got the stats by period. I mean, Vanderbilt made the exact same amount of field goals they did in the second half as they did in the first. They made, in fact, it was almost the exact same shooting. They were ten of twenty-seven in the first half. That's thirty-seven percent. They were ten of twenty-six in the second half. That's thirty-eight and a half percent. Auburn. I mean, Vandy only shot thirty-seven and a half percent for the game, which is a really good job. Uh, by Auburn's defense. It was, I mean, again, it was just that the free throws that Vandy had two out of, as you said, two out of five in the first half, 19 of 25 in the second half. So if you want to give a little blame to Auburn for being a little over aggressive, okay. If you want to mark it as all officiating, okay. Uh, but but Auburn did the exact same thing defensively as for, in terms of allowing Vanderbilt to make field goals and not. So, uh, and meanwhile, Auburn's percentage. Is almost the exact same too. Auburn shot in the first half thirteen of twenty nine. That's forty four point eight. In the second half, they shot fourteen of twenty nine. So they shot they shot the same amount of shots. They made one more forty eight point three. The difference was they did not shoot the three well in the second half. But I mean, these are remarkably similar numbers 
from half to half. Uh, the the thing that's throwing it off is free throw shooting. That that is literally. Otherwise, you'd have the exact same half of basketball because again, Vandy outshot Auburn from the free throw line in the second half. Uh, again, they with the 19 made free throws to the 11, so they gained 11 points in the second half. Otherwise, Auburn wins that second half by about nine or 10 points if it's the same. Okay, well, uh, thanks for clarifying all that. Sure, I was wondering how, how could it be that bad. Uh, what I can say is, uh, Jada Williams. Uh, without him, I'm not sure how well we do. Uh, I didn't know this until I read it from Nathan King. But in the four SEC games we have played so far. He is 16 of 19, guys, from the two-point range. It's insane. Uh, Jalen's doing a great job of shot selection. Uh, and now I'm not saying it's this easy for everyone because that still takes a lot of skill to be able – because he's still making some tough contested 10-footers. And I know you were talking about the two, but even his three-point shooting has been really good uh, the, the last nine, ten games. I mean, he's doing everything well offensively. And, and again, he – he, if he was on a different team or if he uh, – yeah, if he was just on a different team, he could be chucking a lot of shots and scoring even more points. But uh, he works very well within the frame of this offense. I still think there are times he could be even more aggressive. I think we've seen him in his college career have to get a little bit more and more out of that shell and become a little more aggressive, and he has slowly done that. Uh, I think some of it too. I think there was some banter with him and Katie Johnson or somebody after the or during the game last night, where I think it was Katie that told him, "Man, you're still perfect. You need to be careful what sh- shot you take," and that's the kind of things you say when you're up 15, 16, 17 points. So uh, I think he could have been more aggressive even last night. I think he really wanted to maintain that that perfect shooting record, though. Well, here's a stat for you that threw me. I said, "Wow." Um, it says here this comes from Nathan King again that uh, apparently when uh, Jalen uh, is on the court, he apparently, uh, I mean, he really uh, makes the rest of the team look, uh, I was just say, astoundingly good, great. Uh, for every hundred uh, shots, was said, yeah, on here, uh, he ends up making uh, the, the team be plus 211. Wow. Yeah, that's a huge plus minus. Yeah. And, uh, and go ahead. He's nine percent. He's nine percent. It says here from the stat sheet from last year. That's the kind of improvement he's made. Uh, that, that's incredible. Yeah, now, I've also got some numbers for you, Steve, on his ten-game winning streak. This is via uh, Justin Ferguson during Auburn's ten-game winning streak. Jalen's averaging fifteen point eight points, shooting seventy-eight point six percent on twos, fifty-one point eight percent on threes, and eighty-two point four percent on foul shots. Holy cow. All right. Now, how about this for a team stat? This is only the third time in Bruce's tenure that we have started the season out 4-0 in the SEC. The other two times that we've done that, we've won the SEC championship. I didn't know that. There you go. Yeah. Good history there. Good history. All right. And then... Uh, I saw where, well, no, I heard actually uh, Bruce Pearl uh, say last night that, um, obviously referring to the Mississippi uh, game coming up Saturday, that he hopes that uh, the uh, Mississippi, uh, the uh, Auburn fans will uh, be respectful and uh, and, and treat, uh, obviously, Flanagan when he comes you know, to the court with respect and not be uh, in any way disrespectful like booing. Is, uh, so I, I hope that also, but after that's over with, and I would beat the crap out of them. 
Well, of course, yeah. No, I, I there's, I would say there's no real reason to to boo out on Flanagan. I know that uh, Flanagan did not reattain that level he did a few years ago, and and a lot of people were hoping for a little bit more, but it was not for lack of effort. Uh, and, and again, he was here for for four years, and um, all, all you can ask is kids play their hardest, and he did. And uh, again, I know that it did not work out uh, end all be all finishing here, but uh, you know that's the lay of the land things and lay of the land now. And also, he wanted to clearly play with his dad another year, uh, which is understandable after he w- went to Ole Miss. So uh, yeah, no, I, every right or excuse me should not boo him. And then every right after that to hope he misses every shot he takes. Yeah, and he said something last night that struck me too. Uh, Bruce Pearl said that uh, you know he uh, he considers because uh, he's Auburn. He graduated from Auburn. He said he considers um, planning uh, to be an Auburn man uh, all the way. I said, okay, well, I'm glad he said that. All right, moving on, guys. Uh, the uh, NCAA has got their net rankings out. Have you seen where we stand right now in the net rankings? Uh, no, I have not. We're seventh. All right. Very good spot. Yeah. And even more telling is this one. Um, you know, yeah. This comes from Justin Ferguson. He got these stats, and I said, wow. Um, he says the Tigers all-reserve group has the best team efficiency margin of any five-man lineup in Division One basketball with at least 75 possessions this season. I did not know that. Impressive. Yeah. So, if you didn't know it, you do now. You do. You do now. All right. Now, moving on real quickly, guys. Uh, over to your end, um, Mr. Ryan Boy. Trash talking has already started. Yeah, Chauncey Gardner-Johnson. Yep, I know where you're going. If Detroit. they had a good quarterback, really, yeah. if if y'all had a good quarterback, huh. he's uh, a little backstory on him. He used to play for the the Saints, and he has been an agitator for sure. And I'll give him credit; he is he usually backs most of it up. He's a good player, uh, and and when he was with the Saints, the Saints certainly gave the Bucks some fits, and they still do uh, on the defensive side of the ball. But uh, but yeah, no, he's 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 up there in the trash talk rankings in the NFL. He does that a lot. Yeah. But of course, you know Baker Mayfield uh, came back. Did you hear? Did you read his response? Yeah, that he he must not be watching film and and that sort of thing. Yeah, because yeah. one of the plays he mentioned uh, hadn't played. Right. Yeah, he tore his ACL in the preseason. Yeah. yeah. Uh And you know what I find really really odd, uh, Ryan? Uh, I looked at the line uh, for the uh, the game. I said this seems rather kind of low. Um, they're playing at Detroit, and Detroit right now is only a two and a half to three point favorite. Sure. I think it's I think it's based on the well no actually I've got it uh, on the ESPN app I've got it six and a half Detroit six and a half six and a half yeah that's what wow, I've got it up there since I looked at it then yeah so you know look obviously NFL lines are pretty narrow uh, the Lions did have to battle uh, in their first home game obviously the Rams gave them a great game and they were able to make some plays down the field with their passing game and uh, it was a challenge uh, I look I think that. It, the second time around, the the team that lost the first time does have a little bit of an edge. Obviously, Tampa had lost to Philly and then completely flipped that script. Tampa did lose to Detroit, but I uh, the first time. But I do think Detroit being at home is the difference here. And uh, yeah, so that I would agree that that two or three number would be a bit low. But 
I think five, six range. I think that's probably probably right. Okay. And this is a good field story about one of our uh, former Auburn players, Daniel Carlson. I just have to catch a, uh, from Bleach Report the video. Uh, a little boy uh, was at the uh, last, uh, I guess, Raiders game, and he, after the game, was yelling, uh, could you please sign my jersey? And who comes up to him? Daniel Carlson. Awesome. Uh, and it shows the video. The kid's going crazy. He says, this is the best day of my life. And uh, <laughs> Daniel Carlson laughs. He says, glad I could make it for him. He's sitting there signing it for him. So I was uh, glad to see that. Absolutely. All right, guys, that's uh, all I've got. I right, thank you for the time you always give me. Uh, do you, can you give us an update on the uh, the game with the women's basketball? Yeah, uh, I can do that for you real quickly. I know that Auburn led very briefly there in the third quarter. Right now it is tied two minutes left, 48-48. Wow. Okay. Yep. All right. All right, guys. Uh, now, tomorrow you'll be on the air until when? Uh, just till 4.30. 4.30. Okay, then I better uh, get on and get on there real quickly then. Yes, sir. Bye, guys. Have a safe afternoon and evening. And uh, where are you where you'll see, appreciate that phone call. That is retired War Dam Steve joining us on the Orthopedic Clinic phone line. We've got about four minutes left here in this hour, so we will keep it right here. Uh, yeah, that has been a very close affair. And on the women's side of things, there again, winning on the road is difficult. Auburn trying to parlay momentum from that LSU game uh, and beat Vandy here, and now they have taken a two-point lead late. Um, Vanderbilt is 16-2 and two on the year. There's only a couple ranked teams in women's basketball. Uh, I think it's just LSU and South Carolina and the SEC. There's a bunch of teams that would probably be somewhere in the back end of the tournament, I would think, uh, that, that have pretty good overall records. But uh, but uh, right now Auburn's kind of one of those bubble teams, and Vandy's at 16-2. and Got to at least be under some consideration. We'll let you know. When that one goes final, but yeah, good thoughts from Steve there uh, on on the basketball end of things. And look, I, I certainly I don't want to be completely disagreeable. I understand that you have a tight game, and the officiating is going to be under more of a microscope. My simple point just means is we we argue enough about it all the time, and we take a look at it all the time. Sometimes when you have a, a result that was you know not really that influenced by the officiating, even if it was poor. You know that that's when I want to kind of save it a little bit and say, all right, this is probably not the thing to focus on and and not worry too much about because it did not have an impact. But certainly, the games that are close, that there is a bad call or a controversial call, we of course talk about that, and uh, that is justifiably frustrating. But uh, although there was a, a big disparity there in the second half, Auburn fought through it well, even though it slowed the game down. Again, Auburn scored 41 in the first half, 39 in the second half. So I think they handled it quite well, and they defended the exact same way defensively. Again, 10 of 27 for Vandy in the first half, 10 of 26 for Vandy uh, in the second half. So, again, that's that's as consistent as it gets. So Auburn did a really good job. That's why that's what I was looking for most out of them. Could they play about 40 minutes about the same level? And they did. And because that, that, that had been the issue, and there had been a couple non-conference games where people felt Auburn kind of took a nap the last few minutes. Obviously, the LSU game was fresh from people's minds. So, again, that's what I was looking for more than anything was just Auburn trying to play to a very similar level. And I know the scoreboard 
says that that's not necessarily true, but that's why I gave you the shooting stats. The shooting was the exact same. Auburn 13 and 29 first half, 14 and 29 second half. Again, Vandy 10 and 27 first half, 10 and 26 second half. That that, that it could get one shot <laughs> closer to be the same. It could it's one shot away from being the exact same in both halves. It was literally just the free throw disparity. And so. I I'll, I'll give you even better on that. The the to say the the Vandy hit two three-pointers in the first half, hit two in the second half. Right. Auburn dropped, well, you mentioned it earlier when talking to Steve, but Auburn dropped two three-pointers. They hit five in the first half, only three in the second half. And so it even it, it was quite literally, as, as you said, and, and we brought up and, and you, you clarified it with, with Steve, it was quite literally the free throws uh, from each half is uh, is is what defined the is what defined the way that Vandy outscored to Auburn by two points. I mean, it it there's there's no ifs ands or buts uh, uh, about it. You you look at the stats and you know they they are not uh, they're not telling any lies there. That that's what defined the game. Yeah. So again, overall, I thought it was a pretty consistent effort uh, from the Tigers. And again, these double digit wins. Hopefully, Auburn does make them the norm, and they do it all year. But again, those, those usually do not grow on trees in power conference, really any conference basketball. So, again, Auburn, despite Vandy being terrible, I'll take it. And then Auburn, if they want to absolutely flex some muscles on Vandy, they can do it a couple weeks in Neville Arena uh, if they want to win by a a bigger margin than 15. So, again, I thought it was a quality and pretty consistent job overall for the basketball team as they win 80-65 to last night. We are about out of time here for hour number one. Stay tuned. We'll have more of your phone calls in the top of the second hour. And also a reminder, at 4.30, Brian Matthews of Auburn Rivals will be joining us. Uh, he'll talk all things Auburn football, Auburn basketball, as this Auburn football team has continued to put together the coaching staff, trying to get an update on Janai Broom's health for basketball, and much, much more. Again, we're out of time for hour number one. Your phone calls to lead off hour number two. You're listening to the Thursday edition of Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. One hour of our show is in the books. We've got more to come. Stay tuned for another hour of Sports Call right after the break. Since 1995, Alabama's sports talk leader, Tiger Communications, proudly presents Sports Call. It's time to join our Sports Call crew as they discuss the latest headlines and happenings around Auburn and the entire sports world. To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. We're taking phone calls all show long and want to talk about whatever you've got on your mind. And now, coming to you live from the loveliest village on the plains, Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show, Sports Call. Second hour of Sports Call starting right now, Tiger 95.9, the Tiger.fm, and the Tiger Communications app. Ryan LaVoy, T.P. Hammock, and Brooks Childress with you here 
on this Thursday. Reminder that coming up at 4.30, Brian Matthews of Auburn Rivals will join the show, talk all things Auburn football and Auburn basketball. Let's head back to the orthopedic clinic phone line, 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free, 1-888-9-TIGER-9. Next up on the show this afternoon, Anthony from Auburn. Anthony is with us. Anthony, how are you doing today? Doing good, and you guys? Doing well. I heard somewhere that uh, Vanderbilt had uh, brought in Jerry Keel, and he bring the quarterback with him. What what capacity is uh, Jerry Keel uh, going to be uh, uh, responsible for it at Vanderbilt? Yeah, just in an advisory role there. He is uh, he's not going to be on the field coaching. I, I think that uh, he's almost like a soft retirement. I know he retired a few years ago before taking the New Mexico State job. So just trying to trying to stay involved with football, but but uh, far less hands on. You're gonna have a little role, probably like Nick Saban, then, right? Uh, yeah, probably. I guess something like that, maybe a little bit more official and hands-on, but but yeah, something in that category. Now you know that probably could work uh, for Vanderbilt, trying to you know get over the hump and get in a bowl game and, and win consistently. I I I, I like that. I, I think that works for them versus uh, Alabama doing something like that because we in Alabama, you can't have but one man at the helm, and and, and that's the only way that's gonna work. Uh, having somebody trying to micromanage or a legend hanging in the wings, that ain't going to work there. But I think Jerry Keel uh, will be an asset to Vanderbilt. We'll see how that works out. Who knows? They might fire the current coach and let Keel have it at some point. I mean, that's a possibility, too. Uh, yeah, I mean, Clark Lee is – is look, Vandy's unique, and, and Clark Lee's obviously not winning much there, but it's very hard to do that. But I, I would figure that he would need to show some sign of improvement because I think it's going to be year four for him at, at Vandy coming up. So, yeah, I don't think he's got – the, the most job security in the world. But, but yeah, I, I think that, again, they're just trying every way they can to improve some of the people involved with the program. And uh, as you said, yeah, they're going to have New Mexico State's quarterback to uh, Diego Pavia is his name. Well, you know, if you can get off, uh, excuse me, if you can get a uh, receiver here or there and offensive line blocking halfway solid and uh, with a quarterback like that, we've already, already seen what it can do. So you never know. Uh, it might make them way more competitive than what they were uh, the past few years. But, uh, you know, uh, they could have kept the coach they had. He, he kept them bowling every few years, right? I was talking about Derek Mason before him. Yeah, I think he went bowling at least twice, didn't he? Uh, yeah, they, they made a couple bowl games, I believe, with him, uh, as with it is with Vandy. I think he was there. I'm looking at it now. Yeah, he was there seven years. They did make two bowl games within his last two years. They went three and nine, and they were zero and eight when he got fired his last year. Well, two bowl games in seven years ain't bad for a school like that if you think about it. I mean, that's really gravy. Yeah, I know, but I'm still saying, you know, overall though, still twenty-seven and fifty-five overall. Uh, at, at some point, you gotta gotta at least try something else. No, I wouldn't try nothing because uh, I mean. He can tell you bowling twice and seven, and that's probably. Think about it now. Before James Franklin had him bowling back to back, they had probably. I think Bobby Johnson might have had him one time, but other than that, they haven't been to a bowl in about thirty years, right? Uh, I, again, I, I'm sorry, I'm going to disagree with you on twenty seven, twenty seven, fifty five. That I know it's Vandy, but yeah, I mean Bobby Johnson was bad there too. I mean they only went to like one bowl with him, but. Once you get James Franklin proving that you can win nine games a couple of times there, even if that is like the absolute best you can do and it's very far-fetched, right. it's going to be hard to accept two out of seven after that when it's just so when football's so important. And, and also, again, the direction to change. Again, they, they had made those bowls in the middle of his term but then went back to three and nine and then were 0 and eight. So 
That's well, that's again. That's why it headed that direction. Well, that's definitely. Uh, excuse me. Definitely excited for Jerry Kill what he may bring to him. Uh, that quarterback coming back, so we'll get a chance to see him one more time. Uh, and everything, and it, it, is Auburn going to play uh, Vanderbilt this time in football? Yes, they are, and that's the running joke right now that Auburn better watch out for it. Yep. It's going to be in Nashville? Uh, it's going to be in Auburn. Okay, well, maybe he'll come back down and work that magic again. I, I tell you, I guess somebody would get fired at that point. <laughs> yeah, uh, Auburn, Auburn. if they're losing at home to Vanderbilt again, or not again, yeah. but if they're losing at home to Vandy next year, that would be a big problem for sure. Well, we'll see how it shakes out. But I tell you, that's just exciting. That didn't even hear that kind of news there. But, guys, I'm going to go because I'm in the grocery store and I don't want to be making all this noise and people trying to listen in. So I'm going to go. I'll talk to you all later. Appreciate it, Anthony. That is Anthony from Auburn joining us on the Orthopedic Clinic phone line. I hope he gets some uh, some big-time groceries there. Yeah, uh, again, Mandy, that was an interesting little nugget around the time the basketball game was happening last night was uh, Jerry Kill and – uh, coming over there, and uh, Diego Pavia, the quarterback from New Mexico State. So just a little bit of an eye twitch if you're an Auburn fan. They, uh, they knew what they were doing. <laughs> right. That. right. Va- Vandy's not sure where they can turn for SEC wins. So they're like, well, New Mexico State found, found a win at Auburn miraculously. So let's let's try and duplicate all of that, given that Vandy is coming to Auburn. But, again, I, I know go ahead and get out in front of this. If Auburn's losing that game, there's going to be a huge problem, and, and Auburn better not be losing that game next year. But, uh, yeah, uh, Clark Lee is fair to say in trouble there. Again, I know the bar is set low at Vandy, but uh, he is 9-27 and overall, and it's 2-22 and in the SEC. Ooh. So I think that it, uh, he better get to about five or six wins this year or – that well, it, it's on. so weird because, you know, they, they looked like they had a lot of promise. They beat Florida. They beat Kentucky with Will Levis. And then this year, it was horrible. Like, yep. they, they, they got beaten by UNLV. They were just a really bad football team. We saw it whenever Auburn played them. So, uh, Clark Lee's, uh, like you said, I, I think he's in some uh, trouble unless they have a pretty good year this year. And he's one of their own, so they don't want to have to get rid of him. He's a Vandy. Uh, he played at Vandy, so they yeah. don't, they don't want to have to get rid of him. Again, and like we all understand the challenge there for sure. I mean, it's the, the I'm not gonna. It is the most difficult job in Power Five football. It is. I, I'm sorry. I, it's tougher than Kansas. It's tougher than Rutgers. Uh, what wh- whatever you want to find, you know throw out there tougher than Duke I mean it, look some some of these schools are just named have at least gone to I mean Kansas went to a BCS Bowl back when it was BCS Bowl uh, Duke has sniffed around an ACC title once or twice um, you know Rutgers at least with Shiano can can hold its weight a little bit uh, Vandy just it just it's just not again we were the, the argument he made which I understand I'm not criticizing but but because it is a it's somewhat a valid argument the argument he was making is they went to two bowl games under a coach, therefore he should kept going. Like that's not an insane argument at all. Uh, I still think that again the trend was clear at the end for Mason, but look, they followed it up with two and ten, five and seven, two and ten. So that's Vanderbilt, and that's why people love James Franklin coming out of there because he won nine nine games a couple times at Vandy. That's that's hard, man. That is very hard. I don't care how down. The, I don't. I don't remember exactly. How, how the SEC was. I know it still had uh, Alabama in it during uh, the saving time and and uh, a pretty good – I guess one of those years would have been good Florida. And, uh, and I guess you can go through it. Tennessee was down, but still it, it did. The fact that yeah. 
Vanderbilt was able to beat Georgia with <laughs> James Franklin has to tell you all you need to yeah. know about that that era of football yeah. for Vanderbilt. Yeah, that's why he got Penn State job. So again, that uh, it's it's a it's a different circumstance there for sure. Speaking of Vandy, I don't know why. I mean, it's just panning out for them. This <laughs> is Vandy Day on Sports Call. Auburn played them last night. Men's basketball just played them in women's basketball. Unfortunately. The Auburn women not able to parlay momentum from the LSU game. They did drop to Vandy 53-50. Vandy hit a late bucket. Auburn missed some free throws uh, and, and could not get that one done. Vandy is 17-2 and overall and 4-1 and in the SEC in women's basketball. So that's shaping up the, maybe the, I don't know, Vandy. I, I don't know their history, but uh, I'm assuming that's going to be on the high end of things for them. So Auburn, unfortunately, uh it's tough to say this out loud because I know everyone got very excited about the SU game. But for the moment, Auburn is last in the SEC at 1-4. and four. Uh, All right, let's go ahead and take our next time out of the show. When we come back, we'll do a little Auburn football coaching staff talk ahead of Brian Matthews' conversation. That's coming up at 4.30. We'll talk a little bit about the defensive side of the coaching staff. Coming up next, you're listening to the Thursday edition of Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. know how easy it is to listen to our show all you have to do with your amazon smart device is say alexa play sports call auburn follow sports call on twitter at sports call au like us on facebook at sports call au Welcome back to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Ryan LaVoy, T.P. Hammock, Brooks Childress with you here on this Thursday edition of the program. Coming up in about 10 minutes, Brian Matthews of Auburn Rivals will join us. Have some pressing questions in the football and basketball world for Auburn. Really want to hear about Janai Broom's status moving forward for the Tigers with a little bit of a leg injury last night. Hopefully we'll get an update on that. Also looking for an update. On the Auburn defensive coaching staff, the Auburn offensive coaching staff kind of came uh, to fruition yesterday with Derek Nix, offensive coordinator now coming over from Ole Miss, also the running backs coach, and Kent Austin being promoted from uh, or being com- promoted, excuse me, to quarterback coach. So that leaves defense, and Auburn still looking for someone to be co-defensive coordinator, and. Uh, Charles Kelly is going to be one of them. We know that, recruiting like a maniac right now. Also, uh, Wesley McGriff back. So that's the secondary guys. Still got Josh Aldridge for linebackers. Uh, and, excuse me, uh, you're still uh, looking for someone else to come in there and, and round out the, the defensive side of the ball there. I think a lot of people – would have to admit that with Auburn having named the offensive side of the ball and not having named anything defensively, guys, I think for all the world, that would scream Chris Kiffin to me because he is still involved 
with the Houston Texans who defeated the Cleveland Browns this past weekend, the playoffs. They have another playoff game this weekend, obviously against Baltimore. They will be pretty heavy underdogs in that one. I think they're waiting on him. That That is my two cents. TP, do you see it the same way? I, I do. I think we're seeing this a lot now in college where if there's a vacancy offense or defensive like coordinator-wise, then the, it seems uh, the more that these teams get eliminated from the playoffs, we're starting to see those assistants go and fill in those roles. I, I do think it will be Chris Kiffin. I wasn't sure at first. I thought it may be Zach Arnett. But it feels like that um, – Feels like Auburn has gone a different way than Arnett. Maybe Arnett's going to take a year off or something like that. I'm not sure. He hasn't been hired yet, so I know he's available. But, you know, coaching's a tough job, so maybe he's taking a year off. But I do think it will be Chris Kiffin. I'm really interested to see how he'll do in the college game as a defensive coordinator because he's the linebacker's coach at the Texans, at the Texans right? Correct me if I'm yes. wrong. So I, I want to see how he's able to do – calling plays for defense because it's not like Hugh, you know, on the offense side. You know, Hugh's going to call offense or he's going to have his hand in the cookie jar there. And I know he's going to have Charles Kelly alongside him to help him out. But I'm very curious to see how he's going to do uh, with the new role or if he gets the role. Now, now he hasn't gotten it yet. It could be completely different. But, you know, he's 41 years old and um, he's been in the college game. So I think, you know, I – I think he'll be able to translate well, but uh, I'm really interested to see if Auburn will make that hire and uh, get Chris Kiffin and uh, see if he can um, see what he can do for Auburn. And look, Chris Kiffin, obviously, he is the younger brother of Lane Kiffin, uh, but he has the ties to Hugh Freeze, too. Uh, he worked for Freeze at Ole Miss uh, really his entire tenure there, 12 to 16, was the defensive line coach and defensive recruiting coordinator. That word recruiting has continued to come up in just about every single hire that Auburn has made. And that's just going to be a fascinating process because Auburn is already checking a lot of boxes in recruiting in year after year one of Hugh Freeze, being in the top seven or eight there with the class, still trying to work on Ryan Williams. We'll see. But with Alabama now having a, a new day, uh, with so many of their players in the portal, with so many of their recruits, even though there's only seven or eight for 25, half of them have decommitted already, including Zion Grady, who Auburn had on campus the other weekend, uh, including one or two of their kids that were going to come in this 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 current cycle even, or trying to get out of the letter of intent and portal and all that. So with all of that, you now have more available ground. Even though Auburn I mean, was starting to swing with them, they obviously got a couple of kids that Alabama had wanted a lot, like a Perry Thompson, for example. But there's obviously more opportunity now. It just is. And so that, combined with what we heard from Hugh Freeze from the very moment he got here, recruiting, 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 24-25 class, 24-25 class, you know, this is just going to be a pretty fascinating study on how they develop this this talent and how they keep this talent because – uh, I'm I'm sitting here today incredibly confident in Auburn's ability to recruit. They have a head coach that knows how to do it. They have a uh, a coordinator there, and Charles Kelly that knows how to do it. They have gotten some guys on offense. Marcus Davis is doing a hell of a job recruiting at wide receiver. Uh, Derek Nix is more than capable. He is a good recruiter coming over from Ole Miss. And, again, the guys they put on their defensive staff uh, with Kelly. I mean, these guys, and if it's Kiffin, I mean, that's someone that was recruiting heavily at Ole Miss with – when the Ole Miss was recruiting at its best with, with Freeze. So they are leaning hard into this. 
So I have the utmost faith they're going to end up with top seven or eight classes under Hugh Freeze until he's not here. Uh, and hopefully it's not anytime soon. Hopefully he's here for a long time because that means he's succeeding. But the question will be, do they retain that talent? Can they keep that talent happy? Like this big wide receiver room they've signed. Can they develop that talent? You know, that 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 is the next step in this. But you can't develop something you don't have. And you've got to get the players first. And that's what they have clearly targeted in their uh, mantra all season long with what you know, I mean, again, Freeze will have to do both at Auburn. He'll have to end up calling plays, game planning, doing things he knows how to do offensively on top of recruiting. But and, and he knows that. It's not like he's never coached in this league. However, he found it so important to try to catch up recruiting. He's like, no, nah, I'm just going to do a little here and there game planning and, uh, and, and and see if Phil Montgomery can handle it. And he did not handle it, and that's why he's not going to be here next year. But it, it's going to – again, I, I think Auburn is going to get in a really good place recruiting. And then it will just be about development and it will be about the, the plan and, and that sort of thing on a week-to-week basis. But they have – at every turn, tried to hire somebody to aid them in the recruiting world. And I don't think Chris Kiffin is any different. Again, to give you the full um, background on him, again, he is a, a young, he is younger than Lane. He's Lane's younger brother. He's 41, as uh, TP said. Uh, started at Idaho. Let's go Kibbe Dome. Uh, then grad assistant at Ole Miss, Nebraska, USC defensive assistant, uh, Arkansas State defensive line. Then again, the Ole Miss defensive line coach, defensive recruiting coordinator from 12 to 16, Florida Atlantic with, with his brother Lane for a year as D.C., went up to the NFL, 49ers, pass rush specialist, 18-19, uh, Browns defensive line, 20-22, and the Texans this year with linebackers. So mostly defensive line, a little, little dropping there of linebackers with the Texans this year for D'Amico Ryans. But been a defensive guy the whole time, uh, has been somebody that, uh, has worked mainly with the front, front four, but front seven overall. You span out to the Houston Texans time. And, again, someone that Hugh Freeze is very familiar with from his time at Ole Miss. And, again, with some other guys off the board, again, I just think that for all the world, if they wanted Arnett, they would have done that by now. He's available. What's he, what's he waiting on? If Arnett doesn't want to coach, he doesn't want to coach. Or if Auburn doesn't want him, he don't want him. But if they wanted each other, I don't see why that would not have happened by now personally. Uh, that does, you know, and, and and you could say that just about anybody available. I understand that, but I think that at the bare minimum, the thing I would I'd be going out on any limb to say is Auburn's going to offer it to Kiffin. That's why they're waiting now. Uh, you, you, if you're Auburn, you feel pretty good about him accepting it. If you're going to take and wait this long, I think. But uh, but yeah, it, that all signs seem to be pouring that direction. We are about to ask Brian Matthews of Auburn rivals about that here in just a moment so we'll ask him about that we'll ask him about the offensive coaching staff we'll ask him again make sure one more time what the play calling plan is on the offensive side of the ball and then also with basketball we'll ask him about the status of Janai Broom and much much more again Brian Matthews of Auburn Rivals coming up next you're listening to the Thursday edition of Sports Call on Tiger 95.9 
Sports Call is on the air weekdays from 3 until 6 p.m. If you are currently driving in a four-door sedan, roll up the windows and turn up the radio. We're Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show. I'm Trevon Reed, former Auburn Tiger football player and national champion. You're listening to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Welcome back to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9, the Tiger.fm, the Tiger Communications app. Ryan LaVoy, T.P. Hammock, Brooks Childress with you here on this Thursday afternoon turning into evening. Obviously, a lot of going on right now in the sports world and in the Auburn sports world as Auburn able to be victorious last night in Memorial Gym against Vandy. Also, the Tigers doing a lot in terms of coaching staff decisions, both offensively and defensively, after a good bit of turnover. So we now go to our orthopedic clinic phone line where we welcome on Brian Matthews of Auburn Rivals here to give us the latest in all things Auburn football and Auburn basketball. Brian, as always, the time is greatly appreciated. How are things in your world? Oh, everything's great. Thanks for having me. Uh, Absolutely. And so, Brian, let's start with basketball since that just occurred last night. We'll get into football in just a moment. Uh, Tigers victorious again, 10 wins in a row for Auburn as they were able to get another double-digit victory on the road against Vanderbilt. What stands out to you about the performance last night and just about this streak that the Tigers are on? Well, just that performance they put in, um, you know, making that big run to sort of put the game away. you know, uh, I guess it was around midway through the second half, early in the second half, and uh, uh, just really cruising from there. And um, just uh, this this team is just amazing the way they're playing right now. Uh, you know, Jalen Williams, of course, was terrific, uh, a perfect 7-7 from the floor. And, you know, if one guy or two guys are not having a good night, somebody else can step up. And, Brian, I know that early uh, this season Bruce Pearl was talking a little bit about his concerns for the team, and obviously he continues to be critical with some of the second-half performances, but I recall him talking about the defensive end of the floor, and the Tigers, uh, to me, seem to be doing a really good job there. What have you noticed about this team defensively, or or what flaw do you think that they still have that they uh, would need to be working on here in the coming days and weeks? Yeah, I meant to say the end of the first half and they made that run because I don't think Bruce is real happy with uh, the, the play in the second half there. Um. You know, I, I think defense is, is really um, uh, sort of the engine that drives this team right now. And um, I think it helps a lot that they have a, a second five that come in and plays even better defense than the starters do, uh, you know, most of the time. Not all the time, most of the time. So I think that's big for this team. And I think that shows at the end of halves like it did at Vanderbilt and at the end of games. And I think it's going to help uh, Auburn as the season goes on, you know, and more teams get banged up and get tired, um, you know, during a tough conference season. I think it's going to help Auburn in the SEC tournament. And I think if they can stay relatively healthy, I think it's going to help them when they get to the NCAA tournament. 
So, Brian, talking about Auburn's opponent on Saturday, they got a new revamped uh, Ole Miss squad coming in led by Coach Chris Beard. Talk about what Auburn fans can expect to see from this 15-2 Ole Miss squad. I mean, they're pretty athletic. I got some decent depth. I got to watch a little bit of them uh, last last night. They lost to – who were they playing last night? They were on the road. Uh, LSU. Uh, LSU. Yeah, yeah. And I think LSU is actually a pretty good team. I know Auburn took care of measly, but I, I think they're a team that's going to be um, pretty good by the end of the season. Uh, but, of course, you got the Flanagans coming back, uh, Wes and, and Allen, uh, so that's going to be a little sideshow there a little bit. But I think they're a good, solid team. Uh, I know they got to a good start. They got ranked. Uh, I don't think they necessarily played a, a great schedule and have been tested as much as Auburn has, but I still think this could be a good game. It's one that Auburn needs to take seriously and and play well, but I do think what we talked about, that defense and that depth that Auburn has is going to give them an advantage, and of course, uh, Neville Reno will give them a big advantage too. And, and Brian, I know late last night, Janiah Broom got banged up there in the last couple of minutes. Do we have any word on his status or, or if anything the, the coaching staff has said yet about him? Yeah, he's fine. Oh. Um, should be good to go for Saturday. Excellent. Okay, uh, the good news then. Uh, and so, turning the page again, uh, for this Auburn basketball team, uh, one more before we head to football. Uh, with, with this Tigers team being so balanced, Brian, have you seen a team be this balanced and this deep before? I mean, ten guys playing fifteen minutes a game. I mean, just uh, how I guess Auburn's going to be able to sustain this. Just what what stands out to you about the overwhelming depth that they have? Well, I would say this is the most unique team that Bruce Pearl's had at Auburn. Um, I don't know that I would say it's his best yet, of course. I've covered a Final Four team, uh, but certainly it is different than anyone he's had. I, I don't remember him. You know, once they got into a conference play or, you know, against better opponents, him rotating this many players consistently. Uh, most most of the times it's seven or eight that I recall, you know. Um, uh, and I, I, just, um, I, I just find it um, interesting. I, I think it's an advantage for Auburn. I think this team could – uh, go far and, and make a nice run here, but I, you know, I don't know that for sure because there's still a long, long way to go. But um, uh, I like the way this team is playing. Um, I didn't get to hear uh, Coach Pearl on the radio last night, but um, I got feedback from some things he said. So he's, you can tell he's sort of pushing this team to get better, and doesn't like it when they have those little spells of you know letting teams get back into games and um, you know losing their focus a little bit and. Um, you know, if he's pushing that team this hard right now, that tells you he really believes they can continue to get better and uh, really have a, a pretty high upside. Brian, uh, moving on to football here, uh, you, you look at the, the Hugh Free staff, and I know that, you know, it's not a complete staff just yet. We'll, we'll talk about that in just a moment, but they still continue to go out and recruit, especially recruit that transfer portal. Just this week, you got a you got the signing of Jaron Thompson uh, the, the from Texas, and then yesterday you got the commitment of the, the Alabama DB, Antonio Kite. Uh, t- talk about the, 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 the work that Auburn's been putting in getting some of these guys in the portal and what they can do for the 2024 Tigers. Yeah, you know, I kind of thought the portal closed for Auburn on January 4th, but it's still hopping. You know, they had a couple of guys leave uh, that were graduate transfers and Kaufman and Riley. Uh, I, I think the last three that have gotten in the two you mentioned and Percy Lewis, the offensive tackle, have been probably their three best pickups from the portal. And I think all three have a chance to um, start next year. Um, I, I do think that, um, you know, the two DBs, um, you know, fill some really important holes. You know, you're losing four or five starters there. You need experienced quality depth 
And I think especially, uh, is it Jaron Thompson, is that right, the, the kid from Texas? Yes. Yeah, I think he has a chance to start right away at safety for sure. And then we'll see about an Antonio Kite, I believe. It's, I'm not sure if it's Kite or Kite. I believe it's Kite. Uh, I think he's got a chance to really compete at cornerback and it, at the very least be in that rotation help out a lot. And, and Brian, on that uh, coaching staff, I obviously want a couple questions here about uh, both offense and defensive side. Let's start with offense. Derek Nix coming over from Ole Miss. There was certainly uh, a little bit of uh, gainsmanship on Twitter, shall we say, uh, from Lane Kiffin's side of things. Uh, but what is Auburn getting here in new offensive coordinator and running backs coach Derek Nix? Uh, they're really getting a highly respected assistant coach who um, players love to play for, is a very good recruiter. I, I just think um, – the staff got better with Derek Nix, um, you know, here. And, and this is his first – I think this is his first opportunity to be an offensive coordinator. Of course, I think it's going to be more of a, um, you know, committee approach. I think Hugh Freeze is going to be much more involved in the offense and calling plays. And I think uh, Ken Austin, being elevated quarterback coach, he's going to play a big part in that too. But um, I think Hugh Freeze is thrilled to have Derek Nix on his staff and is excited – about um, just what he brings as a recruiter, as a coach, as a guy who just, um, you know, is just a good person to have around, a guy that's going to lift up his fellow coaches and uh, his players are going to really like to play for him too. And, of course, Brian, I hate to – we're going to probably have to ask this every single year, unfortunately, just the way it's going with play, play calling and what happened with Malzahn and, and what's happened so far in the freeze tenure, but I, but I still owe it to you to ask. I mean, what is your best guess on on what those play calling duties look like next year? Oh, I expect freeze to call plays. Okay. I don't care what Ole Miss's um, Twitter uh, puts out. <laughs> I mean, it's none of their business. Uh, who does that? That was silly. But yeah, I think it'll be freeze. But you know, maybe maybe he changes his mind a little bit. Maybe maybe he gives um, uh, you know Derek a chance to do that. But uh, that's what I'm expecting right now. And then defensive side of things, Brian, obviously there was a, a, a lot of uh, moving parts there, shall we say, with the secondary. And, and let's start with the uh, continuation of Wesley McGriff and the arrival of Charles Kelly. Obviously, Kelly renowned for his recruiting. What can you tell us about that dynamic with Kelly entering the fold and then again with Wesley McGriff re- returning? Yeah, and I think Charles Kelly's already uh, making an impact on Auburn recruiting. You know, as far as uh, getting kite and, and being involved in some other top kids around uh, the southeast that have maybe decommitted from other schools or are considering Auburn a little bit um, more than they were in the past. So I think he's going to do a great job, um, you know, as a primary recruiter back there and as a secondary coach. And just having his experience on staff is another uh, big bonus. You know, as far as coordinators go, I think Chris Kiffin is still the one to watch. He is with the Houston Texans right now. They have a playoff game. I don't know if it's Saturday or Sunday. So um, if they they win, they go on, and, and you have to wait another week on him potentially. If they lose, then you know he's open to uh, to speak to uh, Auburn and to other NFL teams, other college teams. So we'll see. And I also think that um, Zach Arnett is a possibility, uh, the former Mississippi State defense coordinator, head coach, and. Um, Maybe um, DJ Durkin, although I've got the feeling that he was going to end up at Missouri most likely. We'll see. And, and sure, Brian, I mean, I was going to kind of ask you along those lines. It it, it seems, and it, this could be jumping on a little bit, but it seems that since Auburn was able to go ahead and make the offensive hires they wanted and they have yet to make, 
kind of that final big defensive hire. I mean, it certainly seems like the tea leaves are them waiting on Chris Kiffin. Is that pretty fair to speculate on at this point? No, I think that's very fair to speculate on. I think that's the truth. Um, But I don't think he has agreed uh, to be that coordinator uh, yet. I think um, there's good feelings both ways. But, um, you know, what if another NFL team made a run at him as a head coach or something? You just don't know what's going to happen here. So uh, I I just think that's one that um, if I was a bet man, that's who I bet on. But uh, I, I would not, you know, bet too much on it. You know what I'm saying? Sure, sure. He's Brian Matthews of Auburn Rivals joining us on Sports Call today. Brian, will kind of finish with this. Again, as uh, Auburn football looks over the coming uh, days and weeks, and in theory, once a defensive hire is made, would quiet down a little bit. But the, I know the portal is ever active. I know it's technically closed for most, if, unless it's Alabama or Washington, et cetera, right now that have uh, coaching changes. But uh, I, I, what can you tell us about what you would think would be if there any is any last-minute portal uh, wants or needs for Auburn, I know that quarterback is something that's always widely discussed. Not sure if there's one out there right now. Just what would be Auburn's next step in evaluating the portal? I wouldn't rule out a quarterback, um, uh, but I, yeah, I don't know if there's one out there they want to offer a scholarship to. Maybe, maybe potentially a walk-on, give them a, give a guy a chance. Maybe uh, I do think that defensive tackle is a position that they still need to fill and find a potential starter to replace Marcus Harris. So uh, whether they can find somebody like that now, which seems unlikely, or whether that rolls over in the spring, or maybe one of the three freshmen that enrolled really has a great offseason, great spring. They don't feel like they need it. But uh, that's the one area defensive tackle and defensive line that I think still needs to be addressed with some more help up front. And, Brian, how can our listeners, again, find your work? And uh, what do you have going on with, uh, with the guys there at Auburn Rivals in the coming days? I appreciate it, and we'll have uh, tons of coverage, of course, as the transport portal continues to roll along, roll along here for Auburn and everybody else. And um, uh, should be some more juniors visiting this weekend, so we'll have plenty of updates on that. And, of course, on the big basketball game against Ole Miss at Neville Arena uh, Saturday night, it should be a, a really entertaining game, and uh, it'll be good to see the Flanagan's back. And, uh, you know, that, I'm sure that will play a part in, in um, you know, some of the things around the game. He's Brian Matthews of Auburn Rivals joining us today on Sports Call. Brian, as always, we certainly appreciate the time. Look forward to your coverage of Auburn Athletics here in the coming days. And before we know it, it'll be baseball season two, and we're certainly going to be excited about that. But, again, we appreciate the time today. Yeah, I can't wait for baseball. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. That's Brian Matthews of Auburn Rivals joining us today on the Thursday edition of Sports Call. We're going to head to our next timeout, final timeout of the 4 o'clock hour. Back for more reaction to uh, some of what we talked about with Brian about Auburn football, their next steps, and again, their continued searches on the coaching staff. You're listening to the Thursday edition of Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. to call into the show send us your thoughts via email you've got mail sports call at the tiger.fm i'm deshaun davis former auburn tigers football player and all sec linebacker you're listening to sports call on tiger 95.9 
Welcome back to Sports Call, Tiger 95.9, the Tiger.fm, and the Tiger Communications app. Ryan LaVoy, T.P. Hammock, and Brooks Childress with you here on this Thursday. Again, our thanks to Brian Matthews, Bob and Rivals, for joining us in that previous segment. If you missed that, go back and check it out on the Sports Call podcast, presented by Coca-Cola, available wherever you may get your podcasts. We always post the interviews uh, separate from the show, so you're always able to hear that uh, and also include them in the show. So, uh, But good stuff from Brian there. Obviously had to ask him about everything from Janiah Broom to offensive, defensive coaching staffs, and so uh, got some of the rundown on that. And kind of as we expected, trying to zero in on Kiffin, trying to wait for that process out, pleased with the offensive staff, and uh, basketball, I was pleased that apparently Jani Brooms will be a okay. Yeah, that was that was the best news. Uh, you know, Brian Matthews, a real professional there. Love to have him on the show. Um, you know, it's just uh, it was so surprising that Jani Broom. It was just like he's like, oh, he's okay. It was like he's fine. You know, he's just got a little bit of a bruise that, or something like that. You know, he just said he was fine. So that's really good news, and uh, so that makes that's um, good to hear that Broom's doing well and uh, his real good breakdown of Chris Kiffin and the other potential defensive coordinator spots he did mention and talked about Zach Arnett. So um, true professional there in Brian Matthews and uh, always enjoy having him on sports call. But uh, great news there with Janai Broom uh, apparently being healthy. So good to know. Yeah, that is good news. And then, of course, we asked him uh, specifically about Derek Nix and uh, talked a little bit about him the last couple of days and how uh, this was a guy that, again, Kiffin had fought uh, tooth and nail to try to keep it all miss and was up to a few little antics on social media with the you know tweeting in Auburn football stop asking me about Derek Nix he's right here well four days later he's not right there uh so <laughs> uh yeah but again a very unique guy from the standpoint that just not a whole lot of guys that are really involved in the program at all but specifically on the field roles they don't hang with one program for four different administrations, for four different coaches. Uh, it's very a unique thing. And, and sometimes you could move on and go somewhere else and maybe continue to elevate and that sort of thing. That That's also a, a part of it. But I think the guy really liked Ole Miss. Certainly Ole Miss really liked him. But dating back from Houston Nuts tenure in 08, that's when Derek Nick started at Ole Miss and he was running back's coach. Going to through Hugh Freeze, going through Matt Luke, and now on to Lane Kiffin, who Kiffin did move him, interesting enough, to wide receivers coach. He'd been running backs coach up until Kiffin 20. Uh, but then he moves in the wide receivers coach uh, after being running backs from 08 to 20. But again, for four coaches to keep you on that staff, that's again the thing that's going to resonate with me. And also that – he also is able to check a box that Hugh Freeze is wanting to check where, yeah, he did work with Hugh Freeze. It's not just a Lane Kiffin guy at Ole Miss. Worked there since 08. So he was a Freeze guy too, ran running backs for him. Obviously Auburn had that opening with Cadillac resigning, and that just made the glove fit for them. And obviously Ole Miss was getting into some, again, more antics that, that Brian discussed with us a little bit about. The, I'm sure he'll be calling plays, blah, blah, blah. I – Again, I think the good feeling is that he will not be calling plays. It will still be Hugh Freeze. Now, obviously, when you're offensive coordinator, you have game plan input and, and some overarching decisions with the offense. But 
I, and Auburn can call it whatever they want Ole Miss to avoid the, the buyout that Knicks would have had to pay to Ole Miss if he were not to call plays somewhere else. But uh, but ultimately this guy has worked in this league and, again, particularly for Ole Miss for a decade and a half, and I think the feeling is Auburn got a really good quality guy here. And, again, Ole Miss had been on the rise uh, these last couple of years. So you're looking at it from the standpoint of uh, they, they – whether you're talking running backs beforehand or wide receivers the last few years, he was still a part of a revitalization of Ole Miss twice, both with Freeze when they've got things going in a positive direction the first time and with Kiffin here the last few years as they have done a really good job recruiting the portal and that sort of thing. So, again, any any last thoughts on Knicks here before we run out of time? And this hour and this off- offensive staff. Yeah, you know, uh, I think that I'm I'm a little cautious with the the promotion of Ken Austin up because uh, to to the quarterbacks coach because it, it feels like you know you you look at the quarterback play this past year. I know Austin didn't wasn't you know he was in the analyst role and he wasn't had anything to do with it. It didn't get better this year, so I would have maybe liked to bring in somebody from the outside to to kind of look at the quarterbacks a little bit. But I, like you were saying, Ryan, it, it's a guy that checks the box of worked with Hugh Freeze and specifically worked with Hugh Freeze this year uh, and is familiar with what they're trying to do here at Auburn. Derek Nix, I'm really excited about. Um, I know that he wasn't you know you, you look at that Ole Miss offense, you kind of more credit uh, Lane Kiffin of what's going on. But still, that's a very successful offense in college football. You look uh, at, at the—I think it was what top twenty this year, top fifteen, something like that in total offense. Uh, and he was the wide receivers coach there. Uh, same same difference. It was like top twenty something in in passing offense for for uh, Ole Miss last year. And so he's a guy that that got experience. He's a guy that. Uh, that you know, you were you were mentioning it, Ryan. Ole Miss is a, it probably didn't want to lose him as they if they've kept him there all these years throughout the 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 different coaching changes. Uh, but I think the fact that he was in that the the room with uh, with Hugh Freeze there, he was in the room with Lane Kiffin there. Those are two very good offensive minds. You bring him into uh, to a room where the offense kind of struggled last year, and so I think that he's a guy that can come in and give a boost to the offense. So overall, the offensive staff. Uh, you know, again, go back to you hate to lose uh, Cadillac Williams. You hate to make that offensive coordinator change after one year with Phil Montgomery because it didn't work out. But I think that Hugh Freeze has done a good job filling those holes. All right, so that's a look at Auburn's coaching staff. Again, offensive staff full, defensive staff. And as Brian Matthews also put out there again, waiting on Chris Kiffin and the Texans to end their season. Not necessarily Kiffin going to take it, but certainly feels like Auburn is going to offer that co-DC role uh, to Chris Kiffin. They worked alongside Charles Kelly there leading that defense. We are out of time for hour number two. Stay tuned. Hour number three coming up in just a moment. Sports Call 5 at 5, presented by Southeastern Land Group. And also, we're going to do a little bit of what we did yesterday, but from the other point of view. Yesterday, we looked at some of the top coaches in the market for the NFL head coaching carousel cycle. We looked at their points of view. Let's look at some of the team's points of view in hour number three, what might fit best for them. You're listening to the Thursday edition of Sports Call live on Tiger 95.9. Two hours of Sports Call are finished. Don't touch that radio dial. We've got one more hour to go. Whether you're leaving work, cruising around town, or listening on demand, we've still got some fun left for you. 
To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show has been on the air since 1995 and is ready for 60 more minutes of fun. Now, let's get this hour of Sports Call started. Third and final hour of Sports Call starting right now. Tiger 95.9, the Tiger.fm, and the Tiger Communications app, or if you're listening after the fact, on the Sports Call podcast presented by Coca-Cola. Ryan LaVoy, Brooks Childress, and T.P. Hammock with you here on this Thursday. Again, a couple reminders as we start the third and final hour of the show today. The show tomorrow will have been done by this point in time. Borgard High School basketball airing around 5 o'clock tomorrow against Valley. Girls and boys basketball start to set, uh, or set to start, excuse me, at 5 o'clock. We'll be getting off air at 4.30. Make sure we have time for that, time to get where we need to go. So 4.30 is when the show will end tomorrow. Also want to remind you, this is the final week of the Sports Call survey being live on the Tiger.fm or on uh, our various links uh, through the social media pages, Sports Call Auburn on Facebook and Instagram, at Sports Call AU on Twitter. Uh, we really would appreciate the feedback there. That's the best way to do that. It's just nine questions, eight of them multiple choice, and a, fill, and a uh, short answer there at the end for any of your comments, positive or negative. It's easier than ordering food on an app sometimes, you know. Uh, so, really? Yeah, yeah. Uh, blessing and a curse with that. Great customization, but maybe you hit a wrong button because there's a lot of buttons to hit. Uh, anyway, but there are not a lot of buttons to hit on this survey. Again, just nine questions, and we really appreciate the feedback here as we are in the first month of 2024. All right, as we try to do each and every day, we got the Sports Call 5 at 5, and it's presented by Southeastern Land Group. John Harden and Brian Watts are your local land advisors with Southeastern Land Group. Land is always a sound financial investment, but it's also an investment in time with your family and friends, and Brian and John can help you find the perfect property for you. If you're looking to sell your land and get maximum exposure to potential buyers, your friends at Southeastern Land Group can also help you with that, too. Call John Harden at 334 334- 524-2756 or call Brian Watts at 334-707-4273 or find them online at selandgroup.com. Want to do something very similar today that we did yesterday, not only for the 5 at 5, but for a lot of this 5 o'clock hour. Yesterday we spent a good bit of time on the coaching perspective where some of the big-name coaches available might feel they might fit best into the NFL head coaching carousel. Today, we want to look at some of the team perspectives. So I'm uh, going to go ahead and give you five teams in the Sports Call 5 at 5. And, of course, there are seven openings, so we'll get to them too. Uh, so let's go ahead and just go uh, run through these real quickly for the Sports Call 5 at 5, presented by Southeastern Land Group, looking at five of the most appealing uh, head coaching vacancies this cycle. Number one. Going to start with the Los Angeles Chargers. Justin Herbert is your quarterback, and that's a very good place to start. Also, uh, Brandon Staley left defense in a very poor place, which means there's a lot of room to grow there. So the Chargers definitely 
an intriguing job and looking at a couple of very interesting big names. Number two. Uh, we talked about them a little bit yesterday, Atlanta Falcons. Got a lot of offensive weaponry. Got an improved defense this year. And the Falcons might be a little further along in the process than some of these teams. Again, we'll talk about it in great detail in just a moment. But the Falcons' vacancy has definitely got a good bit of coverage in this cycle. Number three. Number three, the Seattle Seahawks. That was one that was maybe not entirely on the radar as Pete Carroll was removed, not retired, but uh, did agree to change leadership there in Seattle, a franchise that for the last 10 or 15, 10, 12 years under Pete Carroll had been a very successful franchise and uh, has really done a good job out west there. But the Seahawks is now a vacant job, so we'll look to see uh, what they decide to do next. Number four. Number four, this one, again, is is vacant, but is it really? Uh, Las Vegas Raiders, Antonio Pierce really seems like the front runner. It kind of uh, kind of feels like Mark Davis could be try, trying to think of something else before saying, all right, fine, interim. Pierce is good. But Vegas is open. It's been open a lot the, the last decade or so. Uh, and so Las Vegas is still looking for a head coach. And last up on the Sports Call 5 at 5, presented by Southeastern Land Group, looking at five of the head coaching job opportunities in the NFL right now. Number five. Got Tennessee Titans. Talked a little bit about them yesterday, or at least their point of view with Mike Vrabel, and just different directions for those two at this point. Think very highly of Vrabel. But Tennessee decided to part ways after a 6-11 and season. And this is kind of the end of this little era of Titans football. I don't think we'll see Tannehill anymore. I think Derrick Henry said his goodbyes as he ran off the field um, after taking the Jaguars out of the playoffs. They did have one nice little game. I mean, they took a division rival out of the playoffs, so they did win that last one, but uh, kind of a changing of the guard there in Tennessee. Obviously, the other two openings are the Carolina Panthers, uh, who – uh, going to be a little bit down the list, and the Washington Commanders, who have more upside than maybe people would see on the surface. And we talked a little bit about them yesterday. We'll talk about them more today. That's the 5-5 five five presented by Southeastern Land Group looking at the head coaching opportunities and vacancies in the National Football League. little bit of housekeeping in the NFL. Still awaiting on a final decision from Philly. Jeffrey Lurie, the owner there, who has been pretty quick-triggered he has fired Andy Reid in his lifetime. Like, that is a thing that's happened. It was probably understandable at the time. Andy Reid, however, has won two Super Bowls with the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, a lot believe Sirianni in trouble after losing, what, five of six in the regular year plus the playoff game to Tampa uh, and not looking good in the process, not particularly close in some of those. So still waiting on an official word. Feel like it is warranted if he's going to re- remain or be fired. We did get official word out of Dallas last night. Mike McCarthy's going to get another year. That job security, if you had like a job security bar of 0 to 100 coming into a season, McCarthy would be like a 2 out of 100. Uh, Pretty surprising, quite frankly. Um, Thought he would get removed. I'm I'm not going to beat around the bush. I thought he'd get fired. And I thought he'd be fired on Monday. And he made it to Tuesday. He made it to Wednesday, and he's going to make it to 
and Thursday and Friday and all the days after that, much to the chagrin of a lot of the Cowboys fans. So McCarthy is back. Still waiting on Sirianni. So won't talk about those two. Keep it contained to these jobs. I know this is on the fly, a little bit difficult, but I want to start here. Seven vacancies. Just went through them. Do your best to rank them in terms of desirability right now. Okay. I, I think number one I, I think number one would have to be Seattle. I think number one would be the Seattle Seahawks because you gotta look at it. A lot of their players, a lot of their really good contributing players are still in their rookie deal. They hit a amazing draft class this past year. Uh, the one where they got Kenneth Walker and like Tariq Wool and and Charles Cross and all them that that draft class that was a really good class for them and they're all still on their rookie deal and I think the Seattle Seahawks also have a really good infrastructure as a whole like they don't they're not like dysfunctionally run you know they have Pete Carroll in the building Pete Carroll's still in the building um, you know their GM makes pretty smart moves and uh, you know I think that'd be number one I think that'd be my first pick for the uh, best available job, personally. And uh, Brooks, what, what do you think the number one job is, in your opinion? Uh, I would say the Chargers. I, I think the Los Angeles Chargers is the number one. You've already got an established quarterback there with uh, with Herbert. Um, you, you've got, you know, you, you look at the Chargers are a team that we've looked at the past few years and said they've got the talent there to at least compete for a playoff spot, a wild card spot, and they just haven't. Um, it was. It's been. It's been very, very interesting. Uh, that uh, what what the lack of what's been when happening uh, with with their production. But I think that you're set up right now. I think you're set up uh, with a, a, a good quarterback. I don't think you're you're going in in the next couple of years and looking for a, a quarterback. Um, and, and then outside of that, I think that the rest of the team is fairly well set up to compete right away. Honestly, you know, it was when you look at. Uh, spots. I know. You know. Yesterday, you guys talked about best places for coaches to fit, um, or best uh, the best scenarios for each coach. Uh, you know, a lot of people have lumped Atlanta and the Chargers in as the place that Belichick would be the most comfortable going to because they're set up to to compete right away. I, I think you know the reason why I didn't say the Chargers, and that that that's going to be my number two. But the only reason why I didn't. It's because they have a lot of guys who are on big deals. Like Justin Herbert's deal is massive. Uh, Khalil Mack's deal is still pretty big, and that takes up a lot. Derwin James is getting paid. Uh, you're still having to pay that J.C. Jackson atrocious contract that they sent over to the Patriots. Um, you, you know, I, mine's more of a cap thing for the Chargers, but I would say that's the number two one in my opinion. But, uh, yeah, I think whoever the Chargers do decide to hire – I think they need to realize that the roster is not going to be that way forever because there is a lot of aging guys more than the more than the Seahawks one. The Seahawks are pretty young and they're still showing a lot of promise there. I think the Chargers are more of a veteran team that can compete now, but their window is like it's it's there, but it won't be there like really soon. I think the Seahawks, you know, you can go a year where you're like 10 and 7. Um and then you could really start to build that roster up through free agency and continue through the draft. I think the Chargers, you need to win like 
now or next year because uh, you know those financial hits are going to start taking place and those veterans are going to start to deteriorate like Khalil Mack and others. Uh, the thing about it though is is it's not hard to recruit free agents to Los Angeles. Is you can get you can get some of the big name free agents to come to Los Angeles. Uh, and, and live in Los Angeles. It, it so you can rebuild. You can the the some of the veteran guys are going to leave and you know be get out of there soon. Um, but you can still get high end free agents to come to LA. Um, rank the seven. You you said so. Number for me, I'll I'll just go ahead and, and run through the rest of them. Um, I think Atlanta's number two. I think they're a quarterback away from competing. Um, I think, oh gosh, I think Seattle's my number three. I think they're a team that also could use a quarterback. They could also have a couple other pieces that I'd, I'd like to see, you know, to move in. But um, I think they're number three. Um, gosh, for mm, goodness gracious, got Vegas, Tennessee, Washington, Carolina. I think Washington is the number is is four. Um, I, I really, you know, I, I don't know how everybody else feels or how, how the, the league feels, how the commanders feel. about it. I think Sam Howell is a, a passable quarterback. I would go in and be, be fine working with, with Sam Howell there. But I know that, you know, the, you know, we've, we've talked about it. He's a, he can sling the ball, but he gets in trouble slinging the ball sometimes. Uh, then I would say, uh, Vegas, I think Vegas is the next one. Tennessee, because you're on the like you were mentioning, Ryan, you're on the cusp of like a major rebuild. You're losing your uh, your running back that's been the the franchise for a while. You're you're gonna have to go get a uh, you're you're losing Ryan Tannehill. You kind of lost him in the middle of the year when you got when you brought in Will Levis. The, you're gonna have to determine if when a new coach comes in if that's what you want to do. Is Will Levis your future? And I think the least desirable is is Carolina. I mean, yeah. it's. You got to, you know, you you drafted a first round quarterback last year. You you got Bryce Young, but he hasn't played like it. And and the the most positive thing for them is that defense and some of those guys on uh, that are that are you know pretty good on the defensive side of the ball for for Carolina. You're, they're going to start getting impatient here in the next uh, year or so. So I'll go through the rest of mine, and then I'd love to hear Ryan's opinion on it. So I said Seattle was number one due to the cap reasons and being young. Number two, I said the Chargers because. Albeit your window is there right now. You don't have as long of a window. Even though Brooks is totally right, you still can get people to the Chargers. I think it would just be a little bit harder because Herbert's contract is so big. But you'll still get some people, nevertheless. I'd say number three is Atlanta. I think that I think they're there. I think they're just a quarterback away and maybe some other pieces. We asked Cam about this yesterday. They just need the quarterback right, and that division's up for grabs. Um, I, I think um, I would go with – uh, Washington as well right there because I think with the new ownership had it be, still been Dan Snyder I would uh, I would put them very low but uh, I think with the new ownership and they uh, I think that will really help them out and I think they're really going to start improving that franchise as a whole from top to bottom so and you have some good pieces there in Terry McLaurin and on defense you have like uh, Jonathan Allen and uh, Duran Payne so I would I would say the the commanders for the fourth spot. Uh, fifth, I would go with Vegas, but I'm I was close to switching with Tennessee, but I'm going to go with Vegas. Um, and the only reason why is because they're you know, uh, like you said, it's it's not on the cusp of a total rebuild. Rebuild. <laughs> I, I, my Brian Kelly, <laughs> my Brian <laughs> Kelly, my Brian Kelly came out there. Sorry about that, but uh, you're not in the cusp of a total rebuild. But uh, you you can attract stars to 
Vegas, and I think they could make some trades and they could get back into contending into that division. And uh, I think they just need to get the quarterback position right and uh, keep Devontae Adams happy. I think they'll be okay there. Tennessee's whenever it starts, uh, you see the writing on the wall. Like, Will Levis showed some promise, but there was also some games where it was like, okay, this is a rookie quarterback. Um, I think I think that one's going to be a little bit tougher, but nowhere near as tough as my last place vote in Carolina yeah. because, I mean, you have to deal with David Tepper. Like we said yesterday, you got to deal with him. Worst owner in the league, no doubt about it. Most impatient owner. Um, and then you have a bad roster outside of Bryce Young, Brian Burns, and Derek Brown. Not not a whole lot left on that roster worth mentioning. And uh, Brian Burns is going to need a new deal here soon. And I believe Derek Brown's going to need a, a deal here soon as well. So uh, paydays coming all around. And, um, and so you got to get the offensive side fixed because that was just a complete disaster last year. Your defense was fine. I mean, for a 2-15 and 15 team, it was fine. Uh, but uh, I think Carolina's definitely – the least desirable job of them all. And I, I particularly don't even think it's close. Look, I, I we've got about 30 minutes left in the show, give or take, just, just in general. If I wanted to do the last 30 minutes on how bad of a situation Carolina is right now, <laughs> I certainly could do that. I could come up with enough things to give you a full half an hour on what's going wrong with the Panthers right now. Uh, I think you guys nailed it. I don't have any hot takes. Brooks's list, I think, is exactly my list. Um, sorry, TP. Hey, I wanted to be different. Uh, <laughs> well, I needed someone to be different. So thank rebuild. You <laughs> <laughs> uh, I just think that the quarterback is so important in this league. People are going to look at Justin Herbert and say, "I want that." And look, they're going to have cap concerns. I agree. They did sign some big name free agents. I, at the time, commended them for that. Because I said, you're not having to pay a lot for Herbert. Now is the time to spend money elsewhere while he's on his rookie deal. Well, now he's coming off his rookie deal, and now he's going to make a lot of money. And they went, what, 5-12, and 6-11 and 11 this year, whatever it was. Um, but I just think that if you've got Herbert, you've already got a chance. Because think about it. They don't have a great offensive line. Their defense was bad. And yet they were nearly in the playoffs, or they were in the playoffs the year before. They blew the huge lead, and then they missed them this year. So that's not too far gone, in my opinion. The rest of it's not in such a bad situation that you don't have a pathway there. And I'm going to tell you who I think fits there well in, in just a moment. Um, Brooks, did you have a thought on the on the Chargers? Oh no, oh, I, oh. I was I was reacting oh. to the ten underscore that uh, Alex <laughs> okay. just posted. You, you looked American primed Express. and ready. No, I was I was uh, looking at ten under on the golf tournament. <clears throat> uh, I apologize. No, you're fine. Uh, second, I do think is Atlanta. I think that you have the running back room you want to have. You've got a wide receiver, one you want to have, and you still have a tantalizing opportunity with Kyle Pitts. Even if you don't, Johnny Smith's a hell of a number two. Like he, he is. I know the joke was they used him too much, but the fact that they were able to use him a lot insinuates he is pretty good too, by the way. Like, like let's look at that from a different lens. Defense improved. I thought they spent their money pretty well. I just think that the quarterback-coach combo did them in. All year long, I thought the Dennis Allen Carr or the Baker Mayfield Bowles would do one of them in. They ended up with the same record above 500. It was Atlanta's combo of Ritter and Arthur Smith that really stopped them in their tracks. But 
I think roster-wise, if you just figure out the quarterback, which I know sounds very easy to do when I say it like that, it's also very hard at the same time. But if they do figure out the quarterback, they should be in a position to win that division immediately, like get next year. And I, I think Atlanta's roster is pretty good overall. Just so, call the Green Bay Packers. They figure it out all the time, apparently. Yeah, just ask Green Bay how they decide on quarterbacks because apparently Jordan Love looks like he's going to end up pretty good. And on a sidebar, watch the throwing motion. I swear it looks like Aaron Rodgers. I, I, sw- I, I, I can't. He does the thing where somehow both feet – are off the ground. Have you guys seen that? I was going to say, what's ironic is I've, I've got Twitter pulled up, and three minutes ago the NFL posted a side-by-side of Aaron Rodgers and Jordan Love throwing the football. Yeah. <laughs> I did not know that, but I swear to you guys, it looks like Rodgers. It's, 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 dis- it's disturbing, honestly. And I'm not saying Love will be Rodgers, but I'm saying he got really good towards the end of last year, or this year. That's why the Packers made the playoffs. Anyway, um, if Atlanta figures out the quarterback, that's going to be a great job. Uh, Seattle three. My issue with them, I, I disagree a little bit with you, TP. I don't think they're in a good long term position. I'm. I look at their defense as still a mixed bag. I still think Bobby Wagner is probably their absolute best defensive player. He's thirty three, thirty four, so he's got a couple more years then falls off. Um, I'm not sure that they have the depth there, I guess, of, of quality players. And I'm worried personally, this is just my own gut, I'm worried Metcalf's going to get disgruntled and ask out here pretty soon. Uh, he seems like a guy that's trying, like, and to be fair, a lot of wide receivers, I'm not trying to pinpoint just him, a lot of wide receivers get, get issues with their teams. And Metcalf, to me, has been on the verge, but he's been trying to hold it in. And I think that they're one rough sequence away from him deciding that I'm kind of done with that. And you look at Geno, and I think Geno is solid, but I think he's average quarterback in the league. I think that's probably the the realistic assessment of him. And to me, that's concerning because, as I talked about with Tannehill uh, yesterday, average falls off very quickly. Like, there's no, like graceful decline and Gino to me um, validated his other performance but reminder he's 33 so I don't think he's like a seven or eight year option for you I think he's probably got a couple more years and then he'll probably fall off so I'm actually a little worried about Seattle's long-term viability so that's why Seattle's three for me Washington's four for me too I just think when you get the chance to draft a quarterback that's that's one of the things you look for out of a head coaching job. And Washington's awful. I mean, their their defense is one of the worst things I've ever seen. But especially after they traded their, their defensive linemen too, like Sweat and those guys. But I think that there's hope for that offense. Like, I think that they could be pretty good pretty quickly on offense. They get the quarterback right. And the opportunity to draft either Drake May or Caleb Williams, that's a great opportunity. I think, I think they will both be Pro Bowl quarterbacks. Well – that's not the best way to describe things because Pro Bowl is stupid. Uh, but I think that they could be top ten quarterbacks in the league with the upside of being top five, both of them. Drake may too. And so I think that that is a good position to be in if you're Washington. If you could get the assurance there that you're going to give me two full years to work on this and you're not going to worry about how my year one record is, I think that Washington's going to end up being an okay job. Five for me is Vegas because – Vegas was spunky 
with Antonio Pierce. I'm kind of intrigued by that tough mentality. And they've got a couple of stars on each side of the ball. Like it would there's a real race for second in that AFC West behind Kansas City. And I think that if you can find a theme of this this coaching tour, can what about how was the quarterback situation? If you can give me not Aiden O'Connell or Jimmy Garoppolo, again, I think I can show you Vegas getting better pretty quickly. Guys, they finished eight and nine. Like again, they grinded to a decent record. So if they can find a competent quarterback, it's really not far fetched that they go back to being about ten and seven and making a wild card. It's really not. So Vegas is five for me. Uh the the reason it's not higher than Washington, I should say that, is because it is Mark Davis. Patience is usually thin. There is a lot of drama that surrounds Vegas for whatever reason. And, again, it's a little bit of a volatile organization. So, again, there, there is some organizational problems there. But I think roster-wise, they're in a perfectly fine place. Six is Tennessee. Uh, I'm just, They're going to be bad next year. I think that if you are a head coach, you walk into that building and say, you better give me three. Not two, give me three. Because the problem with Tennessee is they are not high enough, in my opinion, without a trade to take the guy they want to take. They are seven in this draft. They could get Jaden Daniels if they wanted him. But they can't get May and they can't get Williams. And those are the only two sure bets to me. I think there's three or four that could be good. Penix, Daniels, um, maybe Bo Nix, maybe. So maybe. Don't get everyone hot and bothered. <laughs> maybe. Um, and then some would tell you they like McCarthy. I don't really like McCarthy that much, but puncher's chance of being a starter. So there's about six, five or six guys you can make an argument for end up being starting quarterbacks in the league, which is above average for a draft. It's a good, good quarterback class. However, if I'm Tennessee, I'm not taking three or four. Let me see Levis. If he's good, we're on to something. And if he's bad... He, they, Tennessee could be really, really bad next year. Like, if you want to way too early, not top 10, Tennessee might be at the top, man. They're going to not have Derrick Henry. Probably no reason to have DeAndre Hopkins. No defensive studs anymore. I, I mean, no Vrabel. Tennessee could be the worst team in the league next year. So that's why I want three years if I'm a head coach because we're going to be whatever the hell we're going to be in year one. We're probably going to get to take our franchise quarterback year two and work from there. So Tennessee's down to six, and then Carolina. David <laughs> Tepper. Carolina could be like – I don't even think it's justice to say they're last. Like, like, so my job rankings are actually <laughs> the six NFL jobs and then Michigan when Harbaugh leaves yeah. and then Carolina. <laughs> The uh, <laughs> how would you put the open uh, San Jose State job? I was there? I was about to say I, I would take San Jose State new new stadium <laughs> Buffalo, not the Bills, South the Bills. Alabama. Good stuff. Um, the problem with Carolina, look, jokes aside on Tepper, who seems to be on a path towards uh, infamy, is let's look at this practically. They were the worst team in the league this year. It was not particularly close. Washington joined them once they traded their defense, but pre-trading of defense, Washington was clearly better. They were the worst team in the league. You know what the worst team in the league usually gets? Usually get the number one overall pick in the draft. But not this L- year. Unless it's the NBA <laughs> draft lottery, then you might end up two, three. And to be so. fair, 
they did get the number one pick <laughs> last year. <laughs> yeah. What off a team that was not the worst team in the league that had actually had a puncher's chance of winning the South was was beating Tampa in Tampa in attempt to win the South, and then they go two and fifteen this year. And as the worst team in the league, you usually get your number one overall pick. The top pick for Carolina this year is thirty third. Excuse me, third. Yeah, thirty third. <clears throat> that's that's the first pick of the second round. And so the problem is, you're married to Bryce Young at least for this year, which may not be a problem. But there's more. The problem is you're married to Bryce Young, with no obvious path to getting a game changing wide receiver or significantly improving your offensive line, of which they need to do both. At pick 33, you're not guaranteed to do either. Like, they will have to do some work in free agency. And, by the way, like, if you were trying to get a huge name at receiver, who, again, they usually have attitudes, I ain't going to 2-15 and 15 Carolina. So... They're they're gonna struggle with that, but then they've got to. I think, I, like again, they're going to have to pick their poison. They can't fix both. There's too much work to do. Either give a competent receiving core or a competent offensive line. I would argue so that Bryce Young does not die next year. Give him some offensive line. Sign up, sign a guy or two in free agency, and do what you need to do there so that he's not running for his life every play. But. There, they, there's no path for them being a good offense next year because they don't have their one pick. So, same thing with Tennessee. I would ask ownership. I'd say, David, please don't throw a drink on me <laughs> if we're really bad for a year. Can you give me three years? And you know what David Tepper is going to say? I'll give you one. <laughs> that's, I'll give that's you what three I'll promise you. months. <laughs> I'll give you three of something. I'll dude. give you a training camp. <laughs> there you go. I'll, so, look, again, I, I do understand why they fired Frank Reich. I thought it was question, questionable hiring to begin with. But, again, that organization's in deep doo-doo right now. just is, and there's not an obvious solution for them. <clears throat> and if you're a head coach, you probably just don't want that job right now. You, you just don't. They are probably not going to get their pick. They're going to get – after four or five of these vacancies have opened, if I if I had to guess, unless they just go ahead and go for a little bit of an off-the-wall hire, knowing they're not going to get these top few options. So that's a rundown of the seven head coaching vacancies. We are going to take a timeout, but we're going to come back, start to wrap up the show, but we will do it by looking at a couple of those top vacancies and what those top vacancies should be looking for. Who should they hire? We talked yesterday about who the coaches should want to be hired by. Who should the teams want to hire? We'll talk about that next. Sports Call Crew wants to hear from you. Give us a phone call at 334-887-3401. We're done paying the bills. Now back to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. 
Welcome back to Sports Call, Tiger 95.9. Ryan Lavoy, Brooks Childress, and T.P. Hammett with you here on this Thursday edition of the program. All right. Starting to run low on time. I know there could be another day where we talk about it in the future because, well, these coaching searches, they go pretty slow in the NFL compared to what they do in college. But I want to fit in a couple of organizational thoughts here from some of these top openings. So we discussed teams like Chargers, Seattle, Atlanta uh, as as being kind of the top of the pecking order. So we're going to kind of act like in a perfect world, that's how a lot of these prospective candidates would see it. So in a perfect world, we're going to act like you can just kind of go down the line with your top openings and they get what they want and it goes from there and it goes from there and et cetera, et cetera. So if we're starting out, L.A., Seattle, and Atlanta, those three. For those three organizations, who should their hire be? What makes sense to you from an organizational perspective? Um, well, I think uh, I think there's a lot of ways to go with it. And um, so for Atlanta, I'll start with Atlanta. I said it yesterday. I stand to my guns. I'd hire Bill Belichick. I would. I know Cam was not a big fan of that, but I think, he would fit. I think he'd bring Josh McDaniels whenever they had Josh McDaniels at OC. They were pretty good. Mac Jones was a pro bowler. Let that sink in. Mac Jones was a pro bowler with Josh McDaniels as an OC. Now, Josh McDaniels as a head coach, is he sucks. But whenever he was a OC, he was a very good OC. So, if I'm Atlanta, I am going with the greatest of all time. I'm going with Bill Belichick. And uh, you said the other three jobs, right? And and Seattle, Chargers, and uh, was it Washington? Was it? No, I, I said just three. Okay, yeah. okay, those three. Okay, I was just making sure. Um, so for Seattle, here's the one that may be a little controversial. I would not go with Dan Quinn. Dan Quinn is just Pete Carroll light. He's just a younger Pete Carroll. If I wanted Pete Carroll, I would just keep Pete Carroll who's now just sitting in upstairs office with his ceiling fan on or whatever. He's just chilling in the upstairs. So if I wanted Dan Quinn, I would have just kept Pete Carroll. Seattle, I'd go after Ben Johnson. I would hire Ben Johnson, the Lions OC. I thought he was going to get a job last year. He didn't, and I was really surprised by that because he made the Lions offense look really good, and this year they look just as good. I love what he does with the play action. I think he's a really smart offensive mind. I think he's going to be in this league for a very long time. Uh, Mr. Johnson is so I think I think if I'm Seattle I'd go after him he's a little bit different than what they've had the last couple of years but you know what you got DK Metcalf you got Tyra Lockett Kenneth Walker Jackson Smith and Jigba I think you could really make that offense a lot of fun so that's what I do for Seattle and then the Chargers the Chargers are the one that a lot of people are saying Jim Harbaugh is going to go to and I do think he is going to get that job now I don't like the man but I think I think I would go after him as well. I mean, he did go to a Super Bowl, uh, you know, about 10 years ago or so, and he did well at Michigan um, after a really slow start there. And um, I think Jim Harbaugh, I think he does have that NFL itch. And from the way it's the reporting's around is that he's, like, seeking immunity, uh, immunity if he comes back to Michigan because of the NCAA. is not terribly happy with him, so... Um, I, I think, I think he's going to get that Chargers guy, but I think he's going to take the Chargers job. So I think Jim Harbaugh will be the man in, uh, Chargers. I think that fits also culturally. I think, 
I think, you know, he's done well with quarterbacks, so I think he'll do pretty well with Justin Herbert. And um, and then, you know, I think that'll open up the Michigan job, but I think they'll just promote the guy that was the interim. But those are the three NFL vacancies that I see happening. Yeah, you know, I think that uh, Belichick would be my pick if I was Atlanta. You, you bring him in. He's a he's a defensive coach. You're, you're looking at um, uh, the – you know, their, their strong suit last year was the defense. If he can get a good offensive uh, uh, coordinator in there, I think would be would be a plus. Honestly, uh, I, when it first happened, I, I thought uh, Belichick fit more with the uh, with the Commanders. I would have liked to see him going up there to Washington. But I think if you're Atlanta, I think you go after Bill Belichick. It's a it's a division that you can that you can if you get the right coach, you get the uh, right quarterback. You can start to uh, to make gains and, and try to win that in the next couple of years. Seahawks, uh, I do like the Dan Quinn. Uh, I, I would like to, the, uh, the Dan Quinn hire there. I think that if Seattle was going out, you know, you had Pete Carroll, a defensive coach. You had Dan Quinn, who was with him at Seattle. They had a great defense when he was there. He's uh, he went to Atlanta, and I know you know ultimately it didn't turn out positively, but you still he still was able to get Atlanta to a Super Bowl. Um, and you uh, you were able to guide that team to a Super Bowl. Step, you know, it didn't end up turning out uh, favorably in the end. Went to Dallas, has turned that defense into an absolute monster in the National Football League. I think he can do the same back in Seattle. I think he can go up there. He's you know he, he's been up there. Uh, people know him around the the front office, and so I think that he could work there. Uh, and then for the Chargers. Uh, I I think you know uh, the 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 um. Jim, Jim Harbaugh, uh, and, and I know he's like the, the odds-on favorite right now for that's where he would land, uh, is I think that he goes out there, he's coached on the West Coast, um, he's, he's had success on the West Coast uh, with, with San Francisco, he's had a success on the West Coast at Stanford in college. Um, I think he can go out there, have a, a you know get set up with a, uh, already a really good quarterback, already a really good roster, and uh, get right back into uh, trying to compete with a, a Kansas City team in that NFC or AFC West that is not the same Kansas City team we've seen win Super Bowls these last couple of years. They've they've gotten older. They don't have the the dynamic playmakers that they used to have around pa- uh, Patrick Mahomes. And so I think that Harbaugh out west with, with the Chargers could really start to make some waves with uh, in, in uh, the AFC West. Yeah, look, I, I agree with both of those. I just think that <clears throat> if you're Harbaugh, you want that job. You want it more than you want the these other jobs because you got Herbert. And having him with uh, Luck at Stanford and you know doing a good job with McCarthy and – Heck, I mean, again, I don't want people to gloss over the fact you don't have to like the man, but forty-four and nineteen at San Francisco, they went to three straight NFC title games. They won one of them, made that Super Bowl in the Harbaugh Bowl, and then they went eight and eight, and they were done. I want to remind you that the quarterback during a lot of that was Colin Kaepernick. It's not exactly an elite quarterback in the annals of NFL history. So, and you went forty-four and nineteen. So I, I think that Harbaugh can coach. I think with Herbert, he would be uh, a really good choice. And I think that we're all kind of in agreement on that. And the dude's messed up in college. Uh, he's broken some rules. He's in hot water. It's a logical thing to get out of Dodge. So I, I think he would be wise to do that. But I think the Chargers 
shouldn't worry too much about that. They should focus on what he did with the 49ers. And look, I'm just telling you, there's not many coaches that go 44-19 with a trip to the Super Bowl that never get another NFL job. I mean, we give NFL jobs to guys that went 20 and 30, and we give them second and third chances. So I think Harbaugh would be a good hire for the Chargers. Um, <clears throat> I think for Seattle, I'm a little torn on this one. I'm going to be different. I'm going to say a name that's not been said because I like this guy. I think he's going to have to sell for one of the lesser jobs. I don't think Seattle's going to offer him. If I were Seattle, I'd hire Raheem Morris, the defensive coordinator of the Rams. I think Raheem Morris, uh, look, he was head coach a long time ago with Tampa. And I remember that. That was the first time the Bucs had moved off the coach and the time I was able to comprehend it because Gruden had been there since 02 and I could – Barely comprehend football in 02 and certainly got better and better. Got better every day. Um, and they hired Raheem Morris after that. And I think people don't realize, and not that they need to. Again, no one really cares about Tampa Bay. Uh, I hate it, but it's true. But Morris, his first year in Tampa, after the blow-up, uh, or his second year in Tampa, excuse me, after the blow-up of John Gruden, had a 10-win team. They went 10-6 and six back in 2010. Now, the overall record was bad. Again, he um, he had two bad years sandwiched in there. So I get it. But I think he was so young when that happened. I think the dude's only about 50 now. Yeah, he's 47 now. He So they was head coach in 09 to 11. So 09's 14 years ago, 15 years ago. So, yeah, he got the job when he was about 33. So I think it's perfectly reasonable to think that he has learned something since then. He's run pretty good defenses with L.A. They've kept them alive there and was obviously um, Rams D.C. when they won the Super Bowl a couple years ago. I'd give it to Raheem Morris. He knows that division well. Um, and, again, I, I I just think it's time Raheem get another chance. So I'd go Raheem for Seattle. Atlanta, I'm sorry. Ugh, I don't. I, 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 I'm I going to admit something to you. As of right now, I don't have a spot that makes sense for Bill Belichick. Oh. Because I don't think it's Atlanta either. The Behind the Amazon Prime <laughs> desk, potentially? I, I totally understand why Atlanta is interested. I get it. I'm not saying I disagree with it. Their point of view is Belichick's won a million Super Bowls. They took He took a Super Bowl from Atlanta. And... Again, Arthur Blank has kind of swung for names. He's usually missed, but it's been well documented. He has swung for names. And if you're Atlanta, and I would say this too, and I don't really have time to deep dive in this point. I will deep dive in this point at some point during this carousel. If you are making a hire in the NFL, there's it's a four square. There's four squares that you can hire usually that guys will fit into, Okay. There's two offensive squares and two defensive squares. And the other thing going across the top is coordinator or former head coach. Okay, so you're either an offensive guy that has been a head coach before, you're an offensive guy that's a hot shot coordinator. Or you're a defensive guy that's been a head coach before, that's like a Dan Quinn. Or you're a defensive guy that uh, has been a coordinator. And those are usually the four paths. Yes, you can pull from college, mix it up a little bit there, but the four main paths. Coordinators of offense and defense variety and former head coaches of offense and defense specialty. In 
teams don't very often go with the same thing twice. They just went with the offensive coordinator that was not experienced. That was Arthur Smith. And it didn't go well. They never got the offense off the ground in Atlanta. So my thought is Arthur Blank is not going to want to do that again. And that's why I don't think they're hiring Ben Johnson or Brian Johnson or your Johnson or my Johnson. Like They're going to end up having a different situation there where they are going to want to change their style around. And I think that they are going to say, what better way to flip the side of the ball than the most experienced defensive guru that there's ever been? So I think that's what they're going to do. However, that's not what I would do. I would say to heck with it, you can do this twice in a row. We're going to try it. We have too many weapons that weren't utilized the right way. I'm going to hire Ben Johnson from Detroit if I'm Atlanta because he has fixed Jared Goff. Guys, Jared Goff looks better now playing for Dan Campbell and Ben Johnson than he did playing for Sean McVay. I want you to let that sink in for just a moment, how highly we all think of Sean McVay. And Jared Goff looks better now than he did when that ended. And sometimes you need fresh starts. I get it. But if you can unlock something in Goff that not even Sean McVay could unlock, I think that's a pretty good reason for you to be a head coach. So I think Atlanta would be very smart to hire Ben Johnson of Detroit. We will see if that's what they do because, again, it is my belief, and I'll go into further detail in a later date about it. It's my belief that you don't just hire in the NFL the same type of thing. You hire the experienced offensive head coach, then you want to go anything but that and any of the other three squares. If you hire a inexperienced offensive coach like they just did with Arthur Smith, usually your appetite's not to do that again. So I think they'll hire Belichick. I'm just saying I probably would not. We are out of time pretty much for the show today. Uh, we cannot get into the other four vacancies. We'll hope to do that maybe tomorrow or next week if they're still open. Uh, but let's get to a real quick nightly TV guide. Our show is about to end, but we've got you covered on entertainment for the evening. Here's Sports Call's nightly TV guide. Sports Call's nightly TV guide presented by White Claw, Hard Seltzer, Brooks. Got about 60 seconds. What we got? No movie picks on tonight. We got a plethora of different sports on this evening. We'll start, our, uh, start things off in the world of college basketball. ESPN tonight. It is South Florida visiting number 10 Memphis uh, at ESPN 2. Also at 6 o'clock, it is Wichita State visiting number 23 Florida Atlantic. Uh, on ESPNU, you've got UNC Asheville visiting Winthrop. 7.30, FS1, Illinois visits Michigan. Some big uh, Big Ten basketball there. Uh, later tonight, ESPN at 8. You've got Oregon State visiting Utah. And then finish up the college basketball evening at 9.30 on FS1 with Oregon visiting Colorado. PGA Tour Champions Golf. Some prime time in action there on Golf cha uh, Channel. The Mitsubishi Electric Championship round number one gets underway from Hawaii. That's 6 o'clock. Uh, 6.30, TNT doubleheader of NBA basketball. The Bulls visit the Raptors. Follow that up at 9 o'clock with the Grizzlies visiting the Timberwolves. And, of course, the first major of the year in tennis continues on tonight. 8 o'clock ESPN 2. Uh, the Australian Open third round action gets underway from day six down in Melbourne. 
That is your nightly TV guide brought to reference at White Call Hard Seltzer. Thank you very much for that, Brooks. And uh, we'll see you again on the shortened edition of Sports Call tomorrow. I'll be here. And T.P. Hammock, thank you for being here these last couple of days. We'll hear your call out there with Brant Dontry of Smith Station Basketball tomorrow. And we will talk to you again next week. Thank you, as always. That will do it for the show today. We want to thank Brian Matthews of Auburn Rivals for joining the program a little bit earlier. And as always, we appreciate all those that tuned in and called in. For Brooks Childress and T.P. Hammock, my name is Ryan LaVoy. Have a great Thursday night, and we'll talk to you again tomorrow.